Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray and his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash NFL. Hey guys, all first-time depositors at Monkey Knife Fight that put at least $20 into their account while using the promo code PFF will receive a free PFF Edge annual subscription. That's right, a $40 value for just $20, and you get the opportunity to turn that $20 into even more money playing daily fantasy and prop games at one of the fastest-growing fantasy sports sites in the U.S. in Monkey Knife Fight. So go to Monkey Knife Fight and deposit $20 with your promo code PFF. Do it today. Receive your free PFF Edge annual subscription. This is a no-brainer. So that's just the pre-roll. That's going to go ahead of everything before the intro. Cool. Thank you. What's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFF. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So, Who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. PFF NFL Podcast, welcome in. We're heading into week four of the NFL, Sam. How we doing, man? Doing good, Steve. Doing good. This is an action-packed show. Action. A long show. Start to finish. Yes, you might be looking at the time right now thinking, it's a really long show. These idiots talk forever. But it's not just us. Mm. It's special guest Robert Mays from The Athletic, formerly of The Ringer, formerly of Grantland, former offensive lineman in high school. Yeah. Robert Mays is going to be on the show later on with just a great conversation. We recorded it yesterday. Sam got personal, very personal, dug up his history. Yeah. So Research. A lot of research. I was impressed by you. Hmm. Investigative journalism. That's what we should, we should drop, like, legitimate PI research on guests. You know, yeah. Really, really dive in. we get in. a music overlay as get you were dirt pulling on them. You know the stuff they do for, like, political campaigns, opposition prep yeah. or whatever it's called? We should do that for all our guests. Like, just Robert, you opposed finger painting in 1987. Yeah. Just hit That's... him with all the worst things they've ever done in their lives. So it was a great interview with Robert Mays from The Athletic. 
Uh, check that out. We uh, tacked that on to the end of the show. Right now, though, we're going to go game by game. Yes. Here, week four, previewing everything. We'll hit on some of the big games in a little bit longer form, and then we'll touch on everything. Let's start with, we're recording here, Thursday morning. We have not yet seen Denver Broncos and the New York Jets. We no. haven't seen it yet. On the basis that it hasn't happened yet. Hasn't happened yet. Mm. You may have seen it. Yeah. I, I don't know. Was it How bad was it? How bad was it? This, I don't want to speak yellow football games. Listen, it's a tw- it's 2020. It's a so pandemic thing, year. Right? It's, it's P- hold on, hold on, hold on. The PFF Twitter account even did it. I, I don't like it. Okay. I'm calling out the PFF Twitter account. You called out and made a funny about Brett Rippin versus Sam Darnold. All right, yeah. enough. You were sitting at home, PFF Twitter account. You were sitting at home with no sports to watch just a few months ago. You couldn't even leave your house. Just enjoy Broncos Jets on Thursday night. Everybody enjoy it. Yeah, I I did it a little bit as well. You did like, too. I tweeted Brett Rippin versus Sam Darnold. You're welcome. You know this is look it, in the broad spectrum of football games. It's not a headline billing encounter. On the other hand, as you say, we were pretty close to no football at all, and all of us like searching for new jobs. And even this week. We've had a game. The first game is being thrown away, or at least pro- postponed. Pittsburgh, Tennessee, an outbreak with the Tennessee Titans. Up to 11 people total confirmed positive COVID cases now. So that game's been punted off down the line to be rescheduled later. But we've had a football game disappear from the schedule. So, yeah, as funny as Brett Rippon versus Sam Darnold might be on paper, it's also an NFL football game that we very nearly didn't get. So thank you. be grateful for it. Yeah, so things to watch. Quinnen Williams and his development with the Jets. Look at him, you know, tearing it up. The Broncos are okay on the back end. You know, it's not they're they're beat up and all that stuff everywhere. But um, just check it out if you haven't. And if you did watch it, I hope it was enjoyable. I, I hope mean, it was exciting. It's also fun to watch as as comedy as the concept is. A lot of people like Brett Rippon coming out. Like he was a good college player. Yeah. He's the classic example of those guys that have a lot of limitations and therefore were not the kind of NFL prospect that they're college career might dictate but he had a lot of supporters as a draft prospect and this is like this is kind of what we thought about nick mullins remember when nick mullins got that start years ago it was a joke right but nick mullins was a good college player that we liked coming out and he's been a pretty good nfl player albeit benefiting from the shanahan rembrandt but this might not be as common if nothing else he's an intriguing young player to watch let's see if it goes well or not yeah he was good in relief in a garbage time situation against the Bucks outside of one throw. So, yeah. hope it was enjoyable if you already saw it. Let's get into the big games this weekend, starting with the New England Patriots at the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs are favored by seven yeah. in this one. This is really uncharted territory for the New England Patriots over the last 20 years. You just don't see them as, you know, touchdown underdogs. Obviously, it's a new world there with Cam Newton at quarterback, with some defensive players opting out this year. And Kansas City, who went... They, they weren't sleepwalking through the first two games, but they're off. It was like, man, there's something more to this offense. Well, they unleashed all of it on Monday night, which was mostly just Patrick Mahomes playing out of his mind. So Kansas City by seven here. Last week would have broken New England's streak, right, of the, like, absurd number of games consecutively that they've been favored by. Yeah, I think like, since, on the road since maybe Seattle. 2015 or right. so. Yeah. So that would have been the first one. But this must be the most they've been underdogs yeah. since God knows when. Um, I... I understand why. I mean, having just seen what Kansas City did to Baltimore, who, like, I couldn't have got that game more wrong, by the way, in our predictions. Same. I, 
I, I, I convinced myself that the Ravens were built to, to stop them. And I think fundamentally they might be, but you, you can't go down, right? What they saw, the Ravens had one drive in that game, essentially from a position of power, and it was the first one, right? Opening drive, 0-0. Zero, zero. They drive the length of the field and stall but on the eight-yard line, right? Fourth and three from the eight, and they kick the field goal instead of going for the touchdown. Kansas City immediately answers with a touchdown. Your next drive, they had the tripping call, remember? Yeah. Bullshit tripping call, which put them at whatever it was, first and 20. Suddenly you're in a hole, and from that point on, they chase the whole game, should, and they can't play like that. You should honestly just keep your kicker. Make your kicker, kicker inactive against the Chiefs. And they're in a tough spot, the Ravens, because their kicker is the most accurate kicker ever, right? So they, they have an even It's a bigger, guaranteed three yeah. against it's the potential for It's an even bigger incentive to take the kick. But that, that little sequence showed you why you have to be aggressive because yeah. particularly the Ravens, right? I think they fundamentally are built well to stop the Chiefs, but you have to play from but the do position you of power. Do you understand what you're saying, though? What? Do you understand why your strategy is very difficult? Every strategy is difficult. The Chiefs are better than you. But what you're saying is, if everything goes right, I mean, this is... I'm not saying is, everything. I'm saying you just can't let them jump out to a no. lead and put you in a position well, of Well, no kidding. The but the same, this is the same thing that I always joke about with Pete Carroll a couple of years ago when he had the one game where they ran the ball 42 times and threw it 17. If you're chasing that game all the time and something goes lo- wrong along the way, you're in trouble. The, the, you have to do whatever you can to maximize points against the Chiefs. Yeah, but Points point, over possessions and my, time of possession. My point is that the, the Ravens standard game plan works it's just that when you go down by double digits you have to toss that out the window and your backup plan doesn't work against them so baltimore threw away a chance to stay with the the plan a for a longer period of time by kicking that field goal yeah then you're down immediately then you're in a hole because the the tripping penalty and now the game is over if they at least gone for it on fourth and three now already they would have had to gone for it and get it but if you'd gone for it and got it, you could have put yourself up by a touchdown. Chiefs answer with a touchdown. You're still back to square one. You can run that game plan again, and everything's good. The um, New England game, though, is interesting because it's Belichick, right? And if anybody is going to come up with anything to knock the Chiefs off their game, it's going to be Belichick. They're going to figure out something to take away some element. At least force Kansas City to plan B, right? The Ravens... They ran what they run on defense, and the Chiefs just had the answers. It was like they knew what was coming literally every single play, and they just put the ball in the gap that you left by doing what you do. The Bill or the Patriots with, will at least force Kansas City to win in a different way, and that's probably all you can ask for. Um, I don't know how you – I don't think you can stop them, but at the very minimum, if you force them to plan B. By the way, did you see the funniest thing I think I've ever seen in my life was Belichick doubling – Derek Carr's check down <laughs> yes <laughs> almost causing his brain to explode that's the level he's willing to go to right take away your nobody has level. ever done that in the history of humanity before and Belichick double teamed a check down because he knew that's what he was going to do that's yeah. what they're going to do to the Mahomes that's what I want to see obviously is the the Bel- it's Belichick Mahomes four uh the Patriots have won two out of the three I think people might forget that two out of three yeah. matchups New England uh, against Mahomes New England beat them both times in 2018 Kansas City won last year down the stretch in a game that was very close. And we're talking mm-hmm. about Nikhil Harry touchdown that was negated, that probably should have been. It was a really close game. Um, the Patriots have done a pretty good job against Patrick Mahomes, the quarterback. And yes. I just I, I wrote about this this week. I just want to separate this really quick. Patrick Mahomes is incredible. He's the best quarterback in the NFL. 
but we always talk about the scheme and the system and all these other things. I just want to quantify that for a second because the the floor for Kansas City's offense is so high. I looked at and this this was spurred from Lamar Jackson the other night. Lamar Jackson's last two passing ga- grades are like 64 and 61 with radically different outcomes, right? And it's just the classic PFF grade separates the quarterback from production. Patrick Mahomes has 12 career games where his passing grade is under 70. It's not, you know, it's average or below average, essentially. In those games, 12 games, 27 touchdowns, 12 interceptions, 7.9 yards per attempt, and a passer rating of 95.1. So when Mahomes is not on his game, he's still one of the most productive quarterbacks in the NFL. You know, he would still have 35 touchdowns a year and still have, you know, 8 yards per attempt and a 95 passer rating. That is the Tyreek Hill factor, the Travis Kelsey factor, the Andy Reid, Eric Bieniemy factor. That is all of that stuff. Belichick has done a nice job of like making Mahomes miss throws, you know, making things a little bit difficult, making them challenging throws. But it's still the Chiefs keep putting up points against New England too. And Belichick can turn Patrick Mahomes into a normal quarterback, which just leaves all of the other strengths in the Kansas City offense. Right, because while they were doing that. They were leaving wide open screen passes or other stuff where the scheme stuff picks up for maybe where Mahomes wasn't. Then you have Monday night where Mahomes is just out of this world. You know, he should have had an extra touchdown. He put one on Miko Hardman's hands on a deep post and just his ability. He just, he does stuff that quarterbacks aren't supposed to do as in you're supposed to drop to nine yards and he drops to 15, knowing that he's just buying himself some time to hit the open. He just does stuff that guys don't do. Um, so, so tough to defend. Your only hope, I think, is hoping that he misses some of those throws and that also the rest of the Chiefs have a bad game. You're not, you're not just rooting for the quarterback to have a game, a bad game. You need the play calling to be off, and you need to you know, make a few good decisions. I'm also intrigued to see what they do on the other side of the ball, the Patriots this is, yeah. um, because, again, they have the ability to run that Baltimore game plan. This right? is your theory tested again. Yes. yes. And if nothing whether it works or not the first question is going to be do they even try it right because so far we've seen games where they run this run heavy cam newton offense and then we've seen games where they pass the ball way more right so which are they going to go for are they going to try and run that baltimore style of offense where they say right step one in defeating the chiefs is ensure that we have 10 minute drives every time we have the football right so that the chiefs don't so just try and keep the ball away from them, and then we'll do whatever we do on defense here's, to try and slow them down. Here's what I think. When the Patriots beat the Chiefs in the 2018 AFC Championship, their first drive was run, 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 run. It was very run-heavy with a couple short passes in there. I do think, and the Chiefs' def- defense has been really good at yeah. limiting just passes beyond the sticks, explosive plays. They've been really good in that area. I do think the Patriots come out, and you see an extreme use of the play clock, play clock in an extreme attempt to control the game and limit possessions. It, the thing is, it has to, be, has to be extreme. You have to go so slow and be so efficient moving the ball that it might cost the Chiefs two possessions. Because if you're really good at it, you might, you might lose one possession for the other team, which isn't a massive difference. You still have to stop them ten times. They might do it at an extreme level. Cam Newton every, running every third and three. Yeah. I mean, I, I really think, as much as we... We, th- we feel like we're really smart and we say the best offense, best defense is an offense and score points and all that stuff. I do think Belichick does believe in this ball control run game thing in a situation like this. And I think we see it at again, an extreme level. I think Lamar Jackson is this and, pa- and uh, Cam Newton is this. They are unique weapons that change the dynamic of that offense, right? Yeah. You can't just have 
like Tennessee's offense can't do this, right? You can't just go, we're going to establish Derrick Henry down your throats, and that's how we're going to control the clock. Right. Lamar Jackson and Cam Newton add an element that is difficult to defend to that that enable you to be able to do that, right? Because, as you say, whenever you get to third and three, Cam Newton is coming at you, right? How are you stopping that? Because you, it's not easy. Um, so that, I think, is how you can actually run this offense. And I know it didn't work last week, but I think so much of that was because the first 10 minutes, it, it disappeared, right? I, I think they're going to try it. I think we're going to get your theory tested in it. It's not even that your theory is tested. It's just this is the strategy. And if it works, you have a shot. If it doesn't work, you might lose by a lot. Yeah. I mean, the problem is that last scenario is there every, every whatever you do, right? Like, no matter what you do, you're running up against the Chiefs that right now are unstoppable. Yeah. So the prospect of getting your ass kicked is there almost no matter what you do. You try and hang with them from a, a scoring punch-counterpunch situation, you're going to get your ass kicked. If you try and keep them off the field and you blow two drives, you're going to get – like, there's, there are many scenarios by which you get your ass kicked, which is why the, the Chiefs are seven-point favorites. The fact that Mecole Hardman has – you know, the first two weeks Mahomes was rarely thrown – throwing the ball deep and then you have Hardman in his 4-3 speed getting behind the defense I don't know how you cover all that I don't you know can. how you cover Tyreek and Travis Kelsey Sammy Watkins for whatever he's worth and uh, Hardman you, I mean you honestly can't you have to for you have to figure out what the thing they want to go to the least is make them go to that and then hope that that's not good enough a connection to win there's talk about your guy uh, Kyle Duggar being one-on-one uh, -on -one with Travis Kelsey perhaps yeah. in um, I'll be intrigued, too, because the Patriots have a few new weapons on defense, like a Duggar that's flown around making a ton of plays so far this year to see how he, they get deployed. So anytime you get Belichick against a good quarterback, it's a fun game to watch. And, yeah, I think if the Chiefs win this, you start to get into this. Are they going to go 16-0? and 0? Who's going to stop them? Who's going to slow them down, right? Some, that was a preseason thing, right? There were people saying the Chiefs were going to go 16-0? and 0? Yeah. I, mean, I thought the Ravens had a better shot at doing it than the Chiefs, but apparently I hadn't considered that they had to play the Chiefs. Yeah, you're uh, – your bold picks aren't looking good so far. Some of them are. I, we were talking about this with uh, with Robert Mays on his podcast. Like one of our, it was a sort of if what were the things you would tell yourself now in August before you did your picks <laughs> three weeks ago, right? And one of them was, well, I I would have loved to have known that Seattle would actually let Russ cook, you know? Yeah. But I picked Seattle to win the division anyway. Like that pick is actually yeah. looking quite good. You would have chosen not to upset Bills Mafia. Maybe. Perhaps. Maybe. All right. So. Uh, Kansas City by seven, I think they cover it at home. Not the whole matters. I just the, the prospect of betting against a Bill Belichick coach team to With the a, tune of seven at a touchdown is yeah. crazy to me. I, I understand why, but I'm not doing it. I will say we've we've seen three different Cam Newtons in three weeks. We yes. saw efficient hits. What's their guy in week one? We saw a big play guy, like unbelievable dude. Are you going to tear up the league if you keep throwing like this guy? And then we saw a bad Cam Newton last week. Three different Cam Newtons. I think this game probably depends on how much they ask of him and which one of those three shows up. If it's week two, I, I'm going to play in a shootout with, with Russ Cam Newton, then we've got a pretty good ball game. But I like Kansas City in this one. Let's go to, right, one of the games of the week we said was the Cleveland Browns and the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, I'm picking Kansas City. I'm just not trusting it with the points. Okay. Um, the Cleveland Browns and the Dallas Cowboys. The Browns are 2-1. and one. Dallas is 1-2. and two. Dallas has gone up against Seattle, Atlanta, and the Rams. Uh, Cleveland's coming off of wins against the Bengals and the Washington football team. So I think we're looking at three weeks in, feels like Dallas is a better team. Vegas agrees that Dallas is a better team. Four and a half point favorites. What are your thoughts on this game, though? Browns-Cowboys. I think Dallas is a better team, but 
I wonder if people are dismissing this matchup a little bit too easily. Um, I think that the Browns match up quite well with what Dallas is right now, with the possible exception of the fact that their entire secondary is injured and Dallas has, you know, really good receivers. That is definitely a potential Achilles heel and a pretty big one. But let's so Cleveland at the moment goes their entire season is about Baker Mayfield, right? Is he the quarterback that can be a franchise quarterback and the guy that they thought he was when they drafted him number one overall? Their offseason was about eliminating all of the other variables. Let's get the right coach in. Let's get the right system. Let's get two tight ends so we can run it. Let's uh, sort the offensive line out so that he's not scared for a reason. Let's do all these things to fix Baker Mayfield. Week one against the Ravens, it didn't. None of that mattered because they do so many weird things. It just it destroyed everything. Week two, the opposite end of the spectrum. It's like you probably didn't need any of that, and you would have walked over the or the the Bengals defense because it's that bad. Week three against Washington was just somewhere in the middle. They can at least get pressure, and Baker still most of the time stayed in the pocket and looked pretty comfortable. There were a couple of drives in the middle where he didn't, but all right, that that's growth. This game against Dallas, I think, is a similar kind of thing. The Cowboys can get pressure up front. Um, Alden Smith has been a revelation. They've got guys there that can bring some heat, but their back end is not good. Like Their secondary has been in ribbons. They've been getting gashed by everybody. This is kind of like the Washington game in terms of this should be a game Baker Mayfield can have success in. It's also a game they should be able to – the whole offense should succeed, right? Nick Chubb. Kareem Hunt staying ahead of the chains, running the play action game. There's no reason that the Cleveland offense should struggle in this game against Dallas's defense. And then the other side of the ball, the Cleveland D line is good, and Dallas's offensive line is is a mess right now. Completely beat up, hurt. Right. Yeah. So that might help to offset the fact that you're massively overmatched in the secondary. So, you know, Dallas are a fairly heavy favorite, but I just think that the Browns actually match up pretty well in this game and might be like a live a serious live underdog yeah i'm interested in baker's development here right because we said week one was not what we expected they didn't use play action they didn't do any of the stefanski type stuff that we expected coming into the year weeks two and three they did play action 38 percent of the time that's fifth most in the league there i i viewed the season as they're going to take 15 or 20 plays off baker's plate make it a little bit easier for him but do you you don't want to take too much off his plate. This is my issue. He's only got three big-time throws through two weeks, four turnover-worthy plays. To, we always talk about volatility and all that stuff. Maybe Baker's just in this volatile style of quarterback where you need the Cam Newtons that we've talked about through the yeah. years, the Matthew Staffords. Do you just need to unleash him a little bit more? Because if they just make him into a Kirk Cousins, as well as Cousins played last year for Stefanski, is that going to work? Wouldn't you rather have some of those high-end plays that he's capable of? And in a game like this, do they play it safe, as they did the last two weeks, where points weren't as much of a premium going up against Washington and against Cincinnati? I mean, this this week against Dallas, who probably is going to put up – they're going to put up points. They're capable. Do we see a little bit more on Baker's plate? Yeah, I, you definitely don't want to restrict what it is that makes him really good at his best. And a lot of that is those deep passes. Um and I was looking at these numbers. I started off looking for Mahomes, the kind of crazy numbers on third and long in, in Mahomes' career. Like, the, I think the Insane. average team or the average quarterback converts third and 11 plus at like 22% or 18% of the time. Um, Mahomes is up at like 28. He's like 10% higher than anybody else. It's insane. 
Um, but Baker has a ton of those plays because the Browns offense has been like a mess and they've been putting him in hideous situations and he's just faced a million of those third and longs and actually has quite a lot of conversions. Like they've come at a cost and he's made a lot of mistakes as well. Right. But like Baker's actually been pretty good at those big plays that they need to move the chains and do all those kinds of things. So I'm with you. I think particularly against this Dallas secondary that isn't good, you need to start making more of that connection you know, we saw glimpses of it, right? The the Baker, the Odell Beckham thing deep downfield right. is still a thing that should exist. It did against Cincinnati. There's no reason it shouldn't against Dallas. Yeah, I think on the other side of the ball, I want to see Miles Garrett rushing. He's moving around a little bit and had a strip sack over guard a couple weeks ago. Watch him move around. Uh, Jordan Elliott's rushing the passer well. Sheldon Richardson's playing pretty well. Uh, the Browns are attacking with a four-man front quite a bit and I think they're just trusting their D-line to, to make things happen playing a lot of zone behind I mean uh, Miles Garrett going up against Terrence Steele should be that alone that genuinely has the potential to be one of those one-on-one offensive line defensive line matchups that changes a game right it's rare that that happens but it's possible usually it's Aaron Donald doing it to somebody but you know you go back in time to like even good offensive tackles when you find the one guy that you can't block it ruins your day right whether it's Remember Adrian Claiborne wrecking Dallas, right, when they didn't have Tyrant Smith and Claiborne had a six-sack game. Or you go back further, Bryant McKinney could never block Dwight Freeney, right? So anytime the Vikings played the Colts, Dwight Freeney changed the game because McKinney couldn't deal with him. This has the potential to be one of those games where I don't see a scenario whereby Terrence Steele can block Miles Garrett. Right. So if you don't have some pretty significant contingency plans built in for that, Miles Garrett is going to be in Dak Prescott's face all game long. Can we discuss the narrative or at least the comment from Bucky Brooks this week well, what was on Twitter? Time? Bucky was doing this whole, the, the usual, hey, here's Dallas scoring a ton of points, but they're giving up a lot. The offense needs to run the ball more. Oh, we got to establish Zeke more. I, somebody else Zeke. said that as well. Who? Did, who so again, else? as you're, when you're talking about a strategy to kind of curb the Chiefs offense and holding on to the ball and all that stuff, that's one thing. But the bottom line is scoring a touchdown, scoring seven points is the best thing you can do for your defense, whether it takes 15 seconds or 10 minutes. You want to score seven points because then your defense, if the worst thing that they can do is give up seven points, but there's a chance that they're not going to and you're okay. If you score three and it takes you 10 minutes to get there, then there's a good chance they're going to give up three and then they could give up seven. Like I'm just doing simple math here. Score points. The offense's job is to score points. If the question is, let's protect the ball a little bit more because Dak had a turnover, he had an interception, and he had a fumble against the Falcons and all that stuff. Well, Zeke's putting on the ball on the floor like crazy. He had two turnovers against the Falcons. So you're not protecting the football by running it at four yards a clip instead of passing it at eight yards a clip. You're just not doing your team... You know, you're not better for that. So... Dallas's offense is doing their job. It's okay to just blame the defense or say it's really tough to stop the Falcons and Calvin Ridley and Julio Jones and the and, and MVP caliber Russell Wilson. It's really tough to stop that. It has to get better because they're going to play the Browns, Giants, Cardinals, WFT, Eagles over the next few weeks. It'll get better no matter how many carries Zeke gets. It is a weird it's a weird conclusion to come to to look at Dallas through the first three weeks and go, well, they're, they're, they don't have a winning record, so there's a problem. 
clearly the problem is that they're not establishing Zeke Elliott. It's like, well, okay, but it's not weird. It's just it's ingrained. No, it is weird. It's it, it ingrained. Is weird. It's not weird. It's ingrained. It is weird because you, the, if you look at this team, how could you possibly come to the conclusion that the offense is the problem? Like they are putting up a ton of points. They are putting up a ton of yards. Why would you decide that the running back is the issue? The offense is succeeding. Like, we just talked about how bad their offensive line is, and yet despite having that bad offensive line, they are number six in yards per play on offense, right? The teams, the leaderboard for this, Green Bay, number one, Buffalo, number two, Los Angeles Rams, number three, Seattle, number four, Minnesota is the one weird one up there because they've been trailing and they're garbage just timing. Out. Yeah. yeah, and garbage time. And then Kansas City is number seven. So Dallas is ahead of the Chiefs in terms of yards per play on offense. Offense is not the problem with this team. The idea that you could you could possibly look at this and decide, determine that the, the problem here with Dallas, the reason we're not winning games is because Zeke Elliott isn't being fed. He got the tattoo. He's asking for it. You need to <laughs> load him up more. That's, I mean, genuinely, that's that's not smart. In 2018, when the Chiefs were scoring a ridiculous amount of points and giving up 50 and 45 and 32 and all that, was anybody saying, man, you got to run the ball a little bit, take the ball out of Mahomes' right. hands a little bit more, you're, you're scoring too fast. By the way, the other thing that, that, that isn't being considered here, do you know what the offensive line being garbage has the single biggest effect on? What's that? Zeke's production. Oh, yeah, right? absolutely. So even if you wanted to determine that, hey, you know what? We're the number six team in the NFL in yards per play, but that's not good enough. So let's blow it up and pivot in a different direction. Let's load Zeke up. You would be worse because the thing that hurts him the most is the is your single biggest weakness on offense. Like, it affects Zeke way more than it affects Dak. Dak's playing well despite the offensive line. Zeke, as we know, running backs are way more a product of their blocking. If you try and pivot to the run game, He's going to be worse. Yeah, I think the bigger issue is, yeah, Trevon Diggs has a 49 coverage grade, and J Jordan Lewis is 54, and Awuzie has only played in his two games with a 65, and Anthony Brown's only played one game, and Daryl Worley's played corner and safety, and he's got a 60. I mean, nobody's grading well in the back end. They're getting torched. How much of that is going up against good offenses? A lot. So my prediction, you will see more Zeke carries because it's going to be less of a shootout the next few weeks, I think. And you're going to see better defense because you're playing against the Browns and WFT and Giants and these other teams. The Dallas Cowboys are averaging 1.3 yards before contact per carry. Yeah, that's not good. The best teams in the NFL are averaging 2.8 yards yeah, you, you, before contact. Number. You don't want you don't want to carry. feed you don't want to feed that too so much. Again, the idea that you could look at what's happening in Dallas right now and determine that lack of carries for Zeke is the problem would have me questioning your analysis all right four and a half is the spread where are you going with this game who's going to win what do you like with the number i think dallas will win i do however think it's a closer game than people are expecting it to to be and it wouldn't shock me if cleveland won it yeah i'm expecting a good game i would probably pick cleveland to cover keep it close yeah they're just a really see i can also imagine a scenario where the browns suck and they get blown out yeah it, it really wouldn't shock me if cleveland if we're sitting here on monday and this has been a shock for the weekend that the browns won and it also wouldn't be surprised if they got killed yeah okay great good analysis but the truth because they're just certain things you just don't necessarily want to buy into the browns they've let you down too many times right and there's no as much as the last two weeks have been encouraging, there's no guarantee that Baker doesn't go back to being like week one Baker where he can't stay in a pocket, panics, everything's a disaster. And they've played one the good team out of three. Exactly. And they've played two of the worst teams in the league. That the is one, the concern. And the one good team murdered them. Like, murdered him. So if if he's 
the sort of source of your optimism, <sighs> the potential is always there for that to go way south. You're right. I'm taking Dallas to cover as well. Thank you okay. for talking me into it. All right, the last game of the week right here, Indianapolis Colts at the Chicago Bears. The Nick Foles, Chicago Bears. <laughs> How about this? What a fascinating game. You ready for my Phillip Rivers stat? Okay. This year, through three games, Phillip Rivers has been pressured 17 times. Yes. Last year, he had six different games <laughs> where he was pressured 17 times. <laughs> that and, is an outstanding stat. And he was pressured 14 times per game yeah last year have you dropped that in the chat oh That's everywhere amazing. it's been it, it's been on i it was one of the tweets that i suggested That's it was in my article my week three article uh, my weekly thing is to check the philip rivers pressure watch yeah i mean you talk about preseason predictions this is like we nailed it you got it you're, you're with the best offensive line in the nfl he's also getting rid of the ball extremely quickly and he's playing with with real pockets which is great mo alley cox is breaking out as an athletic tight end who can make some plays uh, I think in Indy is a couple bad Philip Rivers decisions yeah. away from being three and out, and I think that's the reality of them being two and one, but they're still flying under the radar because they did lose to the Jags in Week One. But I I, I like Indy in this game. They're uh, they're favored by two and a half. You confuse me because sometimes you do the dog and some yeah. I see it's so I was you confused by team. that as well. Yeah, it's the home team. Us being hardcore gamblers, obviously know that. But that's how they decide that. I would be much more comfortable if you just gave just me, give the me all the faves every yeah. week. But apparently that's not how it's done. Indy's defense is playing well. And again, the caveat defense is dependent on, you know, you play Sam Darnold, you play whoever. Yeah. But um, I like Indy in this one. What do you think? So Chicago, they uh, has this ever happened that a 3-0 and team just upgraded a quarterback? I don't know. I can't think of anything right. offhand. I, if nothing else, it has to be an extremely rare occurrence, right? Now, a lot of people are sort of saying that Chicago is this fraud of a 3-0 and team. I don't think they are. I think they are a 3-0 and caliber team. The roster is a 3-0 and caliber team. The problem is we always knew that it was probably built on a house of sand in terms of Mitchell Trubisky, right? Like, he played well enough in games one and two for them to win. Game three, he didn't, which is why he got benched, Right. But the baseline, like if he just gets to that average baseline as of quarterback play, this is a good roster, top to bottom. It's got good receivers. It's got a good system on offense. It's got a really good defense that is enabled to, or is being enabled to play as well as they can because the quarterback play has been okay. If you get that going forward, this is a really good team that I think can get to the playoffs and contend. And as much as Foles week to week is like, roll the dice and see where we're going to land. The baseline, I think, will be high enough for that to happen. And I don't think the Colts' defense is good enough to prevent him doing that. We'll talk to Robert Mays at the end of the show mm -hmm. a little bit about this. He's a noted Bears fan. He's got some opinions on Foles. Um, I've spoken to other Bears fans or just read their comments. And I think at the very least, they're saying, okay, Foles gives us – not only does he have the high highs or whatever, he gives guys a chance. You, we've talked about Allen Robinson year over year playing with – Starting in high school, yeah, an overrated four-star quarterback, Christian Hackenberg at Penn State, Blake Bortles with the Jaguars. I mean, we've seen him. He is a top ten NFL quarterback and may genuinely receiver. Oh, sorry, yes. receiver and may genuinely never have had plus quarterback play in his entire yeah. career. And when you consider how dependent receivers are on their quarterbacks, that is one of the most absurd, like career arcs in the history of football I, I will say I, 
it doesn't matter that he played with Blake Bortles. Like it, some, it doesn't matter if you play with a bad quarterback. If you, as long as you have an aggressive one that at least puts the ball somewhat close. Bortles gave him jump ball. He had a it, million jump ball yeah, opportunities. It matters to a degree because we know that you know contested catches are not particularly stable. Even if you're good at them, it's not a high percentage play. But it's higher it's, percentage than the Trubisky throw yes, out of bounds. It's better than a guy not throwing you the ball or throwing it in a in a completely uncatchable area. But it's still not good. Like <laughs> as much as. You know, as much as the Ryan Fitzpatrick YOLO style can break your way every once in a while, you're still better off having a guy that's just a good quarterback who put the ball on you. But you still might be better off having a Bortles or a Fitzpatrick than, say, Alex Smith when yeah. he was super conservative, whatever. We're going to see more Allen Robinson opportunities, is my point. We're going to see opportunity for great plays. We're going to see, uh, you know, a wide range of Foles outcomes. That's just, I think, what it's the, – the, the ceiling is high, as I – I wrote this week, just buckle up, Bears fans, because it could be a wild ride, but the payout could be huge for the 3-0 Bears. I mean, you, the payout to having Foles could be huge, or it could, you know, it could end up 8-8, eight and eight, but there's a chance they go 12-4 and four just because yeah. Foles could get, get into one of those stretches. Um, so I can't wait to see it happen. I, I, am, I like Indy, though, the way they're playing and built. Their big question mark was having playmakers emerge. I think they've done a nice job there making it work despite injuries. Michael Pittman being hurt now and Paris Campbell being hurt. I think Rivers is playing kind of what I expected. Yeah, I think he is. I think that situation has gone about the way everybody expected, to be honest. They thought they were a quarterback away, but they weren't quite sure enough about Rivers to you know, sign him for more than a year. So you bring him in, and that's kind of been what he's been. He's been good enough, and then you see every now and again the thing that scared them, right? The bad decision that's like, ah, damn it. Like you're those couple of decisions away from being really, really good and clearly making this team a contender. Um, I, I think the Colts are a good team, but I, I think people are sleeping on the Chicago team because of the quarterback situation. And if like if you get anything in terms of plus play from Foles on a week-to-week -week basis, they're going to be tough to beat in those weeks. Khalil Mack going up against this O-line. Let me. Here's my question on the other side. Colts defense, buying or selling? They've got the number one coverage grade through three weeks. I mean, selling that. How, right, I mean... Because Sam Darnold's just firing passes at them, and yeah. they played Kirk Cousins, and they played you know Minshew in Week One. Um, so you're selling that Xavier Rhodes right now, our top graded corner, very much inflated by a couple of interceptions. That's the reality of the position. It's not a grading knock. It's just a small sample size position. Mm -hmm. It's three weeks in. Forrest Buckner has been as advertised, rushing the passer really well with with ten pressures and a higher grade than that would even indicate at eighty three point nine. But really tough to keep that level of play up. Yeah, particularly if you go up against, you know, better opposition. Like, right. De DeForest Buckner's biggest play so far was absolutely wrecking one of the Vikings' young rookie guards or starting guards. Boy, who, did he. Yeah, and that's, like, that doesn't happen against good players. Like, you don't – you're not able to do that against better players. Friend Bears, of the show, Darius Leonard, 80 grade. Yeah. Maybe on his way to the top 101 this year. I think we're done with – he's done with us at this point. Like, we're going to have to – Listen, if we're allowed to go to Indianapolis next year for the Combine and he makes the 101, we'll – We'll, play, we'll have a little party for him. We should have a top 101. Let's just rig the process. Get him in the 101. We'll have, throw a party for him in Indianapolis. Well, just, wherever he ends up on the list, let's just tell him he's number one. That's a good point, too. Or let's do a whole list. Let's just rank every player legitimately and be like, dude, you're number 273. What's wrong with that? There's 1,500 players. That's good. Oh, he'd be upset at that. You think so? Yeah. I think wherever he ends up on the list, we just tell him he was, the, he was number four. He wanted to be top 10. That's what I'm saying. That's not going to So we it. say, look. Obviously, Russell Wilson, MVP, was number one. Mahomes, two. Rodgers, three. You're four. Listening to you over the last couple of years, Bears fans have been upset 
Why? Because you've told the truth about Mitchell Trubisky. Oh. This year, you sound like a Bears super fan. Are you, are you buying Chicago? I mean, this is – you're expecting them to make a playoff run here. Yeah. I think, I think A, they'll win this game, and, B, this is a playoff-bound team. They, I don't know that they're going to be able to contend with Green Bay within the division because the Packers might be the best team in the NFC. They've currently got Rodgers playing as well as any quarterback in football. And unless you get 16 games, or not 16, whatever we got left, um, 13 games of Nick Foles playing at Super Bowl MVP level Nick Foles, come on. That's what I'm saying, right? That's what he needs to do in order for them to beat Green Bay. That's not going to happen, right? So they'll, they're not going to overhaul the Packers in the division, but they should be a playoff-bound team because all, they were a playoff-bound team that just needed a quarterback to make that a reality. Trubisky isn't that guy, was able to be for like two weeks before it all went in the tank again. There's no reason Foles can't be, at least in terms of baseline. Let me just sum up Foles' career really quick. This is everything that's happened in Nick Foles' career. 2012, fourth, uh, third round rookie, plays okay. 2013, one of the best statistical seasons of all time, matched with Chip Kelly. 2014, he's the starter. He's supposed to duplicate that. Obvious regression, doesn't happen. Even Mark Sanchez played well in relief for him that year in that system. 2015, starting job with the Rams, disaster, terrible. 16, 17, he's a backup, but in 17, he comes in. He is horrible during the regular season. We'll talk about that with Robert. And then has the two best games of all time. Two of the best games of all time in the playoffs. Wins a Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. 18, same thing. He's in relief of Carson Wentz. Some good, some bad, some nice things in the playoffs. They lose. Last year, starting job, Jaguars. Not great. Essentially replaced by Gardner Minshew after he was injured. The Foles coaster is awesome. All I'm excited about is more Nick Foles data points this year. What is he actually? That. They're basically going to lose every game that he plays badly in. They're going to win every game he plays well in. So whatever that ends up netting out to is what the Bears are going to finish with record plus three wins that he got to boot to start with. That's what the team is going to be. And I think that's going to be enough to make the playoffs and be dangerous. I love looking at PFF, the premium stats 2.0, and you just look at his grades. And it's simple. Like here's a green and here's a yellow, and here, but here's an orange and a light green and a dark green. And, it, and that's his career that I just summed up. But there's so much more nuance into it. There's so much more of a a wild ride with the Nick Foles experience. Uh, last week against Atlanta, incre- I mean, he had one pass that should have been picked that turned into a big completion, and then a great game-winning touchdown. So um, you're all in on this Chicago Bears bandwagon. I'm taking the Colts this week to uh, cover oh. and to win at Chicago. Mm. All right, let's go uh, through the rest of the games. We'll give you uh, one or two things, one each, to look at for the rest of the games. Buffalo Bills at the Las Vegas Raiders. What are you looking for in this one? It's Buffalo favored by three. It looks like there'll be no Henry Ruggs. And that, hate that. to me, suggests there's no hope for the Raiders. Um, I don't – I mean, if there's no Ruggs, Ruggs is the one thing that coaxes Carr into taking the deep shot, which I think they need to hang with the Bills in this game. So if Ruggs isn't there, does Carr even take those shots? And if he doesn't – I don't see any way they're winning this game. Like, they can be efficient. They can do a decent job against the Bills, but the Bills are going to put up some points. Can you match that? Not without, a, not without the scare of a deep pass. This is the game where Derek Carr's got to be more aggressive, even without rugs. I, my, my big question is on the defensive side of the ball every week with the Raiders. Can they cover these Bills receivers who are just so good right now? Trayvon Mullins, the only guy grading well. I mentioned him on the review pod. He got his hands on a ton of passes last week against New England. But beyond that, Damon Arnett, the... Rookie first-rounder, LaMarcus Joyner, a bunch of guys with below-average grades in that secondary. How are they going to match up with the, with the Bills? And uh, Josh Allen, 
is just must-see TV at this point. Yeah. He was on his way. He would have had a 90 grade, I think, for us the other night if the fourth quarter didn't happen. Yeah. The fumble and some of the, the other – I know they ended up making the comeback. But he was on his way to probably his best game of all time mm-hmm. from a grade and from a volume standpoint because they're throwing the ball a ton. So there's still a bit of a coaster ride. I mean, he's a different guy this year. The question is, where is that going to end up over 16 games? Like, right. Right now, he's, I think, number six in PFF grade. Like, he's a, basically a top five quarterback. Yeah. Um, which, when you consider where we've had him the last two years, is a massive jump. But our data and other people's data, uh, Josh Hermsmeyer, our buddy for 538, wrote this article about him saying, look, there's a lot of data points saying the things that he's doing really well right now are kind of unsustainable. And you should probably start thinking about the regression, right? Which is obviously what Bill's Mafia wants to hear. Yeah. Um, but I think the question is, all right, where is it going to land? It's like the Tannehill question heading into the season, right? It's probably going to come down to earth a little bit. Where? How far? Right? So Allen right now is probably playing unsustainably well because yeah. of some of these data points. But I don't know that it's going to come down that far because the things – He's also really good in the stable data points right now as well. Like right. He's taken a giant jump in those, and those were the biggest thing. Like If you went from almost non-viable at those things to somewhere in the middle, that's the biggest jump you could make. Like The rest of it is how you get to like insane, crazy numbers like this that have everybody losing their minds. But like Alan can afford to lose a little bit off the top and still be really good. Yeah, I mean, I th- again, I'm on record as saying he'll have years where his production's really good. This could be one of the years because of the supporting cast. It's not like we've never graded Allen well. The 2016 season, he was one of our, the highest graded quarterbacks in the nation. That's when I discovered him. Oh, he little discovered. late night Mountain West. I did. Yeah. Okay. Quentin, Quentin Nelson, Josh Allen. Wow. First on Josh Allen. So it's not like he's never played well, which is why with quarterback evaluation, it's different. It's not good, bad. It's not good. There's, the, the, there's a nuanced middle. And I think we're starting to see a high end plus uh, the high end of Josh Allen combined with these playmakers. Um, the turnover worthy plays will come back to bite him at some point, though. Yeah. I saw the stats like 30 touchdowns and three interceptions over the last 14 right. games or whatever. Like, but, dude, come on. He should have at least three interceptions, three drops this year and two fumbles. Those count. Right. The as fumbles well. thing, I, it drives me nuts. People should just, we should include just instead of tur- uh, touchdown to interception ratio. It should be touchdown to turnover ratio. The problem with fumble, no, because the the problem with fumbles, do you know the quarterback gets the fumble if he tries to yes, he hands it this off? Yes, true. It's bad, and the bad. running back doesn't actually get yeah, possession yeah. of it. It all goes to the quarterback. That's true, and That's it also yeah, it is. True. But but us, but if we it our also, actual like, turnover worthy plays, we decipher the difference between it's a also, strip sack yeah, or that. It's also know. basically random when he puts it on the ball whether it gets back or not. Right, the fumble loss. Of course. So if you were doing touchdown to turnover ratio you know what you could use like the, the, the fumbles don't always end up in turnovers but ah, i have an idea just, it's frustrating is it's, what it is you could come up with turnover worthy plays yeah novel concept. what we need is for people to just accept that as a number that would actually solve the problem turnover worthy plays anyway i like buffalo yeah I, you know what this is gonna be is vegas just a different team at home they beat the, the Saints. The, the football is, team as opposed to the betting uh, enterprise. The, yeah, the yeah. Las Vegas football team. Okay. Are they just a different team at home? They're undefeated in Vegas. How could you go vote against them? How could, you, how could you pick yeah. against them? Um, I'll still take the Bills to win and ugh, to cover as well. <laughs> Sunday night football, Philadelphia Eagles at the San Francisco 49ers. I might jump on the Philly bandwagon. 
Really? There's nothing. There's no way Carson Wentz is this bad. I mean, he is and has been for he three weeks been. now. In fact, more than three weeks. Did I make my Andrew Luck comparison yet on the pod? No, I don't think so. So let's think back. I wrote about this a little bit this week too. 2015, Andrew Luck. Do you remember that stretch? Uh, Very early in the season. Let me remind you. Yeah, dude. We're three weeks. We're three years into Andrew Luck's career. Yes. 12, 13, 14. They're coming off an AFC Championship game, and the the beginning of the 2015 season, Andrew Luck is terrible. He was absolutely atrocious. Turnover worthy plays left and right. He his accuracy was her- terrible. Everything was off about Andrew Luck. People thought he was playing with injury. Eventually, he got a little bit better, and then he did actually get injured and missed most of the 2015 season he came back and then he left again it was a disaster of a year it is if you look at Andrew Luck's grades everything's green except 2015 everything was different and through three weeks Wentz 47 grade Luck had 49 passer rating 63 to 65 Wentz has three touchdowns six picks Luck had five and seven everything's very similar it made no sense but Luck did bounce back from it. it it's not if this was the beginning of Wentz's career you'd be like oh this is a rookie who might not be good at football we've seen Wentz be good at football mm-hmm. he is this is not who he is it is a slump he'll bounce back from it at some point right now it's an absolute disaster it reminds me of Luck in 2015 he did bounce back he was great actually the best stretches of his career came after yeah. this slump so with Wentz I don't know when he comes out of it but he will. And you talked about, do you bench him? Do you do this? I think you just have to let him play. It's uncomfortable, that's, but you got to let him play through it. That's my concern is that I don't see the avenue to pull him out of this, right? You, He's in this weird funk where he just – there's something wrong with it. Like he can't put the ball where it needs to be. He's got the yips was how you described it. I just don't see a natural break for you to reset. He need, somebody needs to like plug him out and plug him back in again, right? Just <laughs> – force the hard reset but there's no can we get the it team down here it takes like it takes time to do that right it takes longer than the gap between the sunday you play the game and the next sunday you're playing again to to make that kind of hard reset and i don't like unless you do it during the bye you try and break them down and, and put them back together again i don't see a way that that happens and i don't know that's something you just spontaneously wake up one week and it's fixed yeah i mean look i I expected for the second year in a row, I expected their playmakers to be better. Last year was ridiculous injuries. This year, it's just there are some injuries, but things are off. Now you've got Dallas Goddard hurt. Um, but even just the guys that are on the field, there's just something off about the timing. And But, you know, Alshon Jeffrey hurt, Jalen Rager hurt, now Goddard. It's just a lot of the same bad luck in that respect, plus Wentz playing at a disastrous level. Yeah. He's got twice as many turnover-worthy plays as any other quarterback. So I'm definitely taking San Francisco. And the second most we've ever seen. Yes. Through three weeks. Yes. I pulled out that stat, too. Who had did. Somebody had 13. Cam. Oh, Cam's rookie season, 2011. Yep. That's right. And that was why, you know, he was throwing like 450 yards every single week. And we were like, yeah, but like he's also throwing the ball to the opposition 13 times or That's whatever it was. Also, why Cam Newton has 50 records. He's got the most passing yards in his second career start. Yeah. Like, great. That's that's a good stat. The thing I'm looking for is can the Eagles defensive line cause Rembrandt some problems with his artistry? Kyle Rembrandt. Yeah, I like it. Who you like in the game? Uh, San Francisco. Yeah. Cover a touchdown. Hmm, that one is less for sure. I is mean, Al just, coming back for this one? I think so, right? They're you going just, full load management on Al yeah, this were, year, huh? Yeah, they were giving him bye weeks, right? Al's so like you only get one bye week at a time. You don't get him back to back. Al's right? Drew Brees. Load management, yeah. Right? But you were proposing like a lo- like an in-game load management system, weren't you? 
No, I was. I think you might. You wanted to sit him down and then bring him back. Maybe like if you're the Saints and you were that confident about your roster. Yeah. Do you sit him out for five games? Now, granted, he missed That's five problem, games last year. Right. That was the issue. Work. They sat him down last year and didn't do anything. Like, but he, maybe you do it in November, December. But what about like you just make him the fourth quarter quarterback? Like one to three, that's Jameis, and then you come in. I here's the thing, Jameis and Taysom. As a former thrower of objects, mm-hmm. the stress that you're going to incur is not even that strong in a game compared to practice and everything else. Well, you shouldn't be practicing. You're going to throw. You throw hundreds of footballs during the week, and you throw it like forty or fifty times on Sunday. Okay. Plus warmups, but it's not stressful compared to practice don't let him throw until the game you almost need to completely shut the dude down that's what i'm saying focus on strength training and strength maintenance and all that stuff during the week his arm is just in like a paraffin bath just getting supple right and then sunday comes out no warm-ups loosen like you know we'll talk about the saints up, later loosens we'll it up with that little uh daniel jones like warm-up thing for the the ac joint before the game and then just out there and slinging it like old Drew Brees again. He just hangs out with Tom House all week yeah, that's the game doing plan. arm drills. That's the game plan from now you on. You get a little uh, yeah, warm up and you do the whole thing. Me and Drew, same same pitching coach, hmm. Tom House. And Tom. I worked with Tom. Okay. House. Yeah. All right. Niners win. Oh, the Saints are next. Great. I see your note. What are you looking for? Old man Breeze versus man coverage. Oh, boy. Um, and the thing is, I don't think it really matters, man coverage versus zone. Like, either way – the Drew Brees from right now is not indicative of how he's done versus that. Like, Drew Brees carves up man coverage typically, but Drew Brees also typically can throw the ball more than six yards and, like, hit the guy. Now he can't necessarily. So, I just generally, what does Drew Brees look like in the next game? Is it back towards week one and two? Does he continue the sort of glimpses from week three? Or are we coming out of this game having a very real discussion about when do you make a change at quarterback and do- what the change is? <clears throat> Do they – I want to see a team that legitimately keeps – not their entire defense, but within 10 yards. Just really clamps down on the short stuff. I showed you his passing map, right? Like, you could genuinely set up your defense at, like, seven yards and be 90% confident that nothing is going over your head. You know that's how I run defense. If right. I was defense coordinator, it's, you know, you cover the passing map. You cover the heat map. That's the, that's the defense. So I'd have, I might have 11 guys I mean, across the board. You play cover one, right? You have the one single high free safety. You're rushing four. Like, you could set up a line of guys at seven yards off the line and be yeah. almost 100% confident that you're going to see every single pass thrown in front of you. And I would, I'd go cover one. And Michael Thomas is practicing, limited, might be back. You go cover one, and then when you have cover one, you have two extra guys, essentially. You have a short guy or you have yeah. one extra guy. And put him in a line. You mix around. You mix up what that guy's doing. Just put him in a line at seven yards. Sometimes you double up. Okay, just at a line at straight seven. line, straight line. Go ahead, throw it over him. It's just it's not that extreme. It's not like he can't throw the ball fifteen it yards. It is that extreme. It's not Look that at his extreme. passing map. I know, but the opportunities haven't. If you give him opportunities to hit a touch pass at twenty yards, uh-huh. he can still hit that. He isn't taking it. He's not it. a middle schooler. He's not even taking it at the moment. He doesn't have that. He's just, he's there not thinking about it. There were those plays against Green Bay, and he didn't take the shot. Well, I, I do want to see if teams just legit. The Rams did it a couple years ago. I thought they did a great job of everything underneath. We're on top. We're daring you to throw the ball deep. And guess what? I would rather, you know, try to hit a 40-yard pass through rather than, you know, letting him complete 80% of his passes underneath as the Packers did. Yeah. Because the Packers still gave up 30 
in that game. At this point, his play is questionable enough where you should be daring him to do the thing that typically you don't want to dare teams to because yeah. it's the most dangerous thing you can happen or that can happen to your defense is you give up the giant play over the top, right? But Breeze is so bad at that right now that I think you're actually – it's a net win to basically say, all right, I'm pretty confident you can't make this play anymore. Prove me wrong. And if you can, fine. But I think we're playing the percentages if we, just, if we say that. Lions have – the number three, third worst coverage grade in the NFL so far. I still don't want to sleep on the Lions. I think they're... Dude, if Thomas plays and Akuda gets stuck with him all day. Akuda, he'll be all right. Akuda's going to bounce He will back. be, but I'm just saying, that dude has started his career with a hamstring oh, injury, right. then Devontae Adams, then Kylo Murray and New Hopkins, and then potentially Michael Thomas the next week. Keep an eye on Jamie Collins in the middle of the defense for the Lions. Patrol in the middle, place where Drew Brees likes to attack. And if he gets lazy, Collins is quick. Lazy or old. Or old. Uh, Collins can make a play there. That's my prediction. Jamie Collins making a play in the middle of the field hmm. for the Lions. Don't sleep on the Lions. It's a four-point spread. It's New Orleans in another dome. It, at least Breeze gets a dome, even though it's on the road. Hmm. Um, I like the Saints to win. I think it's close, man. I think it's close. Yeah, I think the Saints win as well. I, they're too good. Like, even though Breeze is the cap right now and, and a drag as opposed to the thing leading them to an unstoppable run, they're still too much better than the Lions, I think. Um, by the way, Adrian Peterson is awesome. Yeah. Like if, Just if that, in general. If that dude could play in the passing game, like, he would be one of the greatest players in NFL history. He's already dragging his way late in his career up the all-time rankings, and he basically hasn't been able to be in on passing downs for, like, a decade. Yeah, how hard is it to catch a swing or a check down and do something with even it? Less, even more annoying than that is how bad he is in pass protection, right? The dude is like 220 pounds and a monster and yet is miserable in pass blocking. That, that, to me, that's just an effort thing. It has like to be, right? In, in baseball, there are guys who are really good hitters who just can't field, and they just they work at it. And it might take them six or seven years in their career, but eventually they become reasonable. Like, okay, you, you're not terrible anymore. That's pass protection for a running back. You do it a couple times a game. You stand in there, you get physical. I know part of it's mental. It can't be that difficult if you put the work in. Particularly when you're built like him. Like, the dude is a physical monster. There's no reason you should be losing in pass protection to, a, like, a defensive back. All right. We're both taking the Saints in this one. I think it's pretty close. Four-point spread there. Los Angeles Chargers at the Tampa Bay Bucks. The Bucks are favored by seven. Uh, a lot of injuries on the Chargers' side. Chris Harris is on IR. Um, but for the Bucks, also Chris Godwin is out there a couple of their receivers are also banged up what are you looking for in this one uh tampa bay's defense is pretty legit and the chargers have hit their typical week three stretch yeah week four stretch now of an offensive line that's just in tatters so poor old justin herbert has got to go out there and deal with what is the standard chargers disaster of no protection and an offense or defense that's going to be coming after you pretty hard that's tough a tough situation for him. I know coaches use this phrase all the time, but this defense is just flying around the field. They're flying to the ball. They're, uh, it's Todd Bowles. Bowles has a history. There was one time he blitzed. Uh, he's zero blitzed, as in blitzed everybody and left no safety help. 22 straight times one time <laughs> against Ryan Fitzpatrick. Um, sorry, against Ryan Tannehill when he had Ryan F Fitzpatrick. He is aggressive. They were doing that last week against Board Jeff Driscoll. Uh, Vita Vey is playing at a high level. Devin White. 
He's been fantastic as a blitzer. Vita Vea against that interior is going to get ugly. Yeah. So, I mean, it's Justin Her- Justin Herbert under heat in this one. Tyrod's not coming back, right? I was just checking that. No, it Sorry. doesn't look like he is. Um, it's still indefinitely. That was, I think, going to be a multiple-week kind of deal. Um, yeah. Anthony Lynn has started to soften his stance on, you know, Tyrod's definitely going to be the quarterback once he comes back. It's already a little less set in stone than it was, the, you know, initially. Interpretation. We consulted with our lawyers, and <laughs> we cannot be sued for Tyrod losing his job. We are legally clear, therefore Tyrod's starting tenure is over. That's what I'm understanding. Herbert's been impressive, man. Him and Burrow. Yeah. Graded similarly mm-hmm. last week. and um, So I want to see Herbert, his development, going up against this Bucks D. I think anytime Brady takes the field, it's like, all right, you know, is he still? With the old guys, it's not just – do they have it or do they not it's as the season progresses does anything is anything off Brady was a little bit more off last week than he was in previous weeks so um against a pretty good charger secondary even though they're, they're his play up. so he's generally grading a lot better than his numbers so far this season right guys had at least like three touchdowns dropped on him generally a lot of his best passes have fallen incomplete we like the evidence of Breeze what we saw happen to Peyton Manning what we've seen happen to Brett Favre at the end Brady's ability to be this good this old is becoming more and more absurd it's, more, it's crazy the more quarterbacks like drop by the wayside and slightly less age behind them yeah like Favre is the only guy i can think of who never who at least stayed physically able all the way right what broke him was that his thing throughout his career was being an iron man right it doesn't matter what you do to me the body's going to bounce back and i'm good to go next week and then once he hit like 40 it was just like you don't heal any that fast anymore so the hits you take are actually breaking things that you can't come back from. And eventually he just, like, physically disintegrated. But he was still able to go out there and, like, fire the ball downfield like a 25-year-old. Right. Manning was done arm-wise. Drew Brees looks done arm-wise. Like, most of the guys, their arm gets shot. But Brady has still got an arm. He still looks, like, physically. He might not be able to be Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, right? The right. best MVP, all-pro caliber quarterback. But he might be the next best guy, like the next tier after those guys, the one leading that group, right? The the one that's usually the Matt Ryan tier. Yeah, like yeah. Matt Ryan's like the best of the next, the best of the non-transcendent quarterbacks is Matt Ryan. Brady might be that guy now at whatever. Right. What the hell is he? 42? 43. 43. Um, here's, I had to do a, an article for ESPN called QB Kryptonite. So I was like, what's everybody's weakness? So when I was looking through Brady's data, it's actually interesting, right? Because everybody expects the Peyton arm or the Breeze arm, right? They think that's the decline. Yeah. With Brady, it's actually short area accuracy, the thing he's known for the most. Right. And it depends on how you measure it. So he's got the highest percentage of perfect throws. Puts in, We see that all the time. He right? puts it front number, catch and run opportunities. But he's missed a higher percentage than he ever has. It's like sixth or seventh most that he's just straight up missed. And it's a few plays per game where it's footwork and tied to his arm. It, that's where he's declined a little bit. And then I think... I think his ceiling is capped because of how he plays under pressure. I think there's an unwillingness because of his age, because of preservation, which is smart. Yeah. He's just not going to stand in there and make ridiculous throws under pressure like he did during that stretch of 14 to 18 where he was awesome. So That's I think what, Brady's limited. There's a decline there, but still more than capable. Yeah, agreed. That's what differentiates him from a guy like Favre, right? He has a better chance of lasting because he never took the hits that Favre did. Now he's potentially making that even more extreme now if he's aware that that's probably the the thing that will uh, end him the most is if he starts taking hits that he shouldn't maybe we dial back on some hits that i used to take like yeah. I, i've never taken many 
But look, this is a, this is a linebacker steaming towards me right. that I used to be prepared to to live with to make this pass, but not that not anymore. My, I'm 43. I'm too. Like, what is the Danny Glover line? Or what's his name? No, somebody. Yeah, Danny, yeah, yeah. Is Danny Glover. Lethal I'm weapon. Too old for this shit. Yeah. That Brady takes a look at a linebacker bearing down on him with a guy streaking downfield. Yeah. And is Danny Glover. I'm too old for this shit. I'm throwing it away. It's not 2007 anymore. No. My concern with that is you have a Bucks offense that's not built for the short game. They're built for the vertical game, yeah. which Brady's capable of. But again, if you've got more plays under pressure, he wants to have a better mix. You don't have a ton of yards after the catch, guys. You don't have a running – like, he throws to the running backs a ton, and they can't even catch it. It's just – I have some concerns still about the mesh of the personnel, what Brady wants to do and what Arians wants to do. But that development every single week is fascinating to watch. Taking the Bucks, I'm going to take him to cover the, the touchdown as well. I think Herbert looks like a rookie this week. Yeah, I can see Bulls. that. I think that offensive line is going to be a problem. Uh, Jacksonville Jaguars at our hometown Cincinnati Bengals. Give me something to look uh, at here. Does Joe Burrow survive this game? Which is basically, right now, the Bengals' season is, does Joe Burrow make it to the other side without being irreparably damaged? Like, he was under pressure 44% of the time against the Eagles. It's not this hard and fast, but if you're over 40, you're in trouble. Um the Jacksonville defense isn't as good as that. It's not as uh, able to rush the passer. But generally, the weight of pressure that Burrow is under is is a problematic level, and he has to show that he can make it to the other end of the season without his play and his development suffering because of it. Yeah, I mean, and then Minshew on the other side, right? We've got two pretty good games and then a not-so-good game against the Dolphins. I was saying on radio somewhere else today, every time I start to buy into Minshew, he has one of these, right. one of these games. And I think... You know, he is a limited quarterback physically compared to some other guys. Um, and he's definitely impressed us far more than he, you know, we've been discouraged by him. But mm -hmm. there's got to be a certain level of consistency for Minshew that he, that he hits to be a viable starter that people believe in going forward. This is a great bounce back game for him, though. Like the, oh, yeah, for sure. like the Browns run into the Bengals defense and it writes all your problems immediately. The, the Bengals are quietly our third highest coverage grade. I know Jesse Bates made some really nice plays early yeah. in the season and all that. And a million times we're going to say a defense is dependent on who you play. But the Bengals, by from a grading standpoint, Burrow grading well, coverage playing uh, grade pretty pretty solid. The Bengals, I predicted that they were going to have a slow start. The rookie, you know, adjustments, second half of the year. Maybe it starts earlier. They're going to be a tough team to beat. I think the Bengals are going to be a tough team to play week in, week out. They just have to do something from a pass pro standpoint, to your point mm -hmm. there. So, all that said, I think I took the Jags. I'm taking the Jags to bounce back here. I'm taking the Bengals. Bengals are favored by three. There you go. Our hometown Bengals, just a few steps away. Hmm. Many steps away. Yeah, from quite here. a lot of steps. I'll take the Jags in this one, though. And then we've got the best 0-3 versus 0-3 team at, at game in history. It has to be. <laughs> this is bizarre. Minnesota Vikings at the Houston Texans. This, yeah. It should have been a good one coming in. It, yeah, and it isn't. Um, Both I, teams are better than they've showed. Okay, I, I can buy that. I think the Texans, though, are the one that's significantly better than they've shown. You think the Vikings are way better than they've shown. I don't know that that's true. I'm, I'm on both sides with the Texans because – as far as like wins and losses, they're absolutely better because they're gonna they're gonna play easier teams. They've played the Ravens, Chiefs, and the Steelers. But there is nothing about the Texans right now that's encouraging. I do the Sean Salisbury show every week, and he's like, Steve, what's encouraging about the Texans? I said. <laughs> he said, Take the quarterback out of it. I said, There's really nothing. 
The O-line has regressed. The D-line can't stop the run or rush the passer. I already, I already hate the back seven. The <laughs> linebackers, McKinney and Cunningham, have massively regressed. They're supposed to be the strength of that defense. And the receiving core that we were so intrigued by, mm. either they're not being put in position to use that speed and actually put defenses on their heels, or they're just not as good as we thought they could have been. There's no redeeming qualities about the Houston Texans right now. Well, there haven't been through three games because they've played three of the best teams in the NFL. And oh. if nothing else, what this has shown you is, look, Texans, they were a playoff team a year ago. They got fairly convincingly beat by the Chiefs once they got over the fact that some weird plays bounced the other way and they were in a giant hole early in the game. And then they just got blown out, right? So this year it's like, well, okay, we need to hang with a team like the Chiefs because that's where the Super Bowl lies. And they're not. They're not able to do that. In fact, any team that's even remotely like the Chiefs is clearly a step ahead of the Texans right now. On the other hand, they're not bad. Like, they didn't turn into an, like a terrible team overnight. So I think that once Houston actually plays some teams that aren't amazing, say the Minnesota Vikings, they will immediately look dramatically better. Um, whereas for the Vikings, I honestly don't think they're very good. Uh, they have problems everywhere. Mike Zimmer's getting testy with reporters asking he was about very why, angry. His, why his defense sucks. Here's a stat that's real. What? You have an opinion? No, it's just a like, You can just ask me the question. You don't need to read me the, the preamble. Dude, I would be bad. Imagine you had a bad show here and somebody's like, Sam, tell me about your bad show you just had. That was like the worst show I've ever seen you have in 12 years here. Um, I'm taking Houston. They're favored by four and a half. I think it's a close game. Uh, I know we're supposed to talk about the past game here. Um, and I'm going to say uh, Deshaun Watson's due for one of those elite games. I could see that happening yeah. here. Um, but I'm still watching Zach Cunningham against Dalvin Cook in the running game. Um, Zach Cunningham makes spectacular plays in the run game. He's missed a ton of tackles and been a little off this year. So I'm going to watch the run game a little okay. bit in this one. I will say that I think Justin Jefferson changes the Minnesota offense. There you like go. you went from a guy who you went from having all of BC Johnson as your starter into wide receiver sets and not being able to find a way to get Jefferson in there to suddenly you switch that. And now Jefferson has 175 yards and a touchdown. And more importantly, you have somebody that can actually take some attention away from Adam Thielen who was trying to do everything by himself over there. So you're back to being, like we said, coming into the season, if you expect a receiver to replace what Stephon Diggs was able to do, basically right away, pretty optimistic. I mean, he only had one shot at it so far, but he did. Like, if Jefferson can get anywhere near that on a consistent basis, the Vikings are kind of back in business on that side of the ball. You're still taking... Yeah, still Houston. Houston in this one. Uh, Seattle Seahawks at the Miami Dolphins. Why? It's, it's only six and a half. Does that feel light knowing what Russell Wilson's doing and knowing what Miami's trotting out there in their secondary? Uh, Second yeah. worst coverage grade, by Probably. the way. Um, and it looks like Byron Jones is going to be out again. And the last time, like Igbenogany against Stephon Diggs was an absolute train wreck. Yeah. The Seahawks, can, it's either Tyler Lockett or DK Metcalf. Either way, you're, you've got some issues. Plus, now you've got, instead of, uh, you know, Josh Allen's been playing really well, but Russell Wilson has the best deep ball in football every year god yeah that seems seems like there's going to be a lot of big plays flying over the uh the miami secondary does miami just change their game plan go super soft we're playing cover two we're going to keep it and i don't do know if it's ever? in there I mean, no but i mean i don't know do if it's that. in their nature to adjust a little bit it, miami only being six and a half it feels like vegas is saying this is one of those games that's just Fits some fits magic against Seattle secondary, but it's one the of those. There's no it, logic to it, but it'll go that way. The logic is there's weird stuff that happens in Miami sometimes. Teams that go to Miami sometimes there's just weird stuff that happens I, for whatever reason, right? That's that's people thinking about the history of 
Remember that time we doubted the Dolphins? Well, when teams go to Miami, weird stuff happens. Okay. I think that's why they're keeping it so close. I like Seattle to win. Uh, probably going to pick them to cover. I don't see Russell Wilson slowing down here at all. Um, and Seattle might actually be able to get a pass rush. They've got a disastrous pass rush right now. Even though they had a couple plays against Dak Prescott, they should be able to get home against this Miami. For, if they're going to. I, that is the question. Like if Seattle's going to get any pressure, right. it's this week. First offensive line rankings of the week, or the year, rather, I wrote up. And I think, I mean, Miami goes 32. Again, they've been rooted to the bottom of our offensive line rankings for a while now. Yeah. Where did Seattle? Do you remember where Seattle ended up? Because they're definitely much better. Oh, bless you. You, you got the oh, – I got a cough button too. Yeah, we both got cough buttons back. I, I don't. I Actually, I have it right in front of me here. I can tell you. Hang on. Hold, know. please. Make me go read it. No, I've got the, uh, the original bait. file, like the, the Google Oh, okay. Document. I'll still go read it. Everybody go uh, read Sam's offensive I'm line. still scrolling rankings. up. Hey, while I'm here, does everybody know that Chris Collinsworth has a new podcast? I don't think they do. You should tell them about it. Featuring Richard Sherman. Wait, there's no way they were this high. They are. Guess yeah, where Seattle are. Eight. No, not that high. Come on. 13? Almost. 15. 15. 15. Middle of the pack. They crept back toward average. They've gone from terror. They, they've done it. Way. We I'm going to send a shirt. We need the John Oliver button, you know, where he hits it and all the <laughs> celebrations come. We did it. Seattle, what, we Seattle the, crept back toward average. Whoever ends up at 15 and 16 this year, if they if they were in the 20s and they get up to 15 or 16, we'll send them a shirt at the end of the year. Crept back toward average. Anyway, Chris Collinsworth podcast. Him and Richard Sherman teaming yeah. up for the Chris Collinsworth podcast. And I told Chris, I was like, look, as a startup pod with, you know, no traction, people don't know who you are, they don't know your name. We're, right. we're happy. You're not a big name. We can You're help not. you out there. We are perfectly happy to give you a little bit of promotion, mm-hmm. maybe even bring them on the show once in a while maybe um, to help because Chris needs a little bit of help right. in growing the podcast. So I'm happy to push people in that direction. Chris not a lot of people pod. get to see him on a weekly basis. Nobody does. Right. Right. Um, but he's slid into the podcast world. He is on everywhere that you listen to this podcast or any other podcast spotify itunes the whole deal um so check it out search chris collinsworth podcast the first episode drops dropped this week already out yeah done sherman every single week that's a that's a coup that has the potential to be a great podcast because those two guys are two of the more interesting people you can talk football with whenever we've talked to richard sherman he's i mean obviously the dude went stanford so he's a smart guy but he's a smart guy that it comes across when you talk to him right yeah. he thinks about things his answers are always intelligent they align with a lot of what smart uh, data has told us and then chris has always got an interesting take i mean he's a good guy to talk football with even just around the office forget you know all the the actual work of it all like he's just a good interesting voice to hear from so i'm i, I think that'll be a good show so go check it out chris collinsworth podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts uh, we're both taking Seattle yep. in this one. I think they cover as well, despite quirky Miami stuff. Yeah. And I think they cover better as well mm. in the back end. Their cornerbacks are going to play better, I believe, in Seattle. Arizona Cardinals at the Carolina Panthers. The Cardinals are favored by three and a half on the road. What are you looking for in this one? Um, I think... By the way, Isaiah Simmons has only played 35 snaps. The Cardinals are beat up at safety. They're talking about moving him to safety. I don't know if this is a permanent move or an experiment or just an, an answer to injuries but yeah. i'll be i'm always looking for what isaiah simmons does on the field because he we spent the whole podcast talking about him such a fascinating prospect that just hasn't been you know hasn't played well to this point i mean honestly that might be where he has the most value anyway and has the easiest transition like this idea of moving him to linebacker to start from scratch from with like a you know um, a block of clay 
Like it might seem like a great idea, but it, it isn't working at the moment, and it's going to take at least a year for you to figure anything out. So alternatively, why don't we just play him at safety, which might be a more valuable spot anyway, where he's got more experience and might not require like a year of teaching him. On the other side, Jeremy Chin is breaking the way we try to um, create you know, position groupings or whatever. So he's played linebacker, slot corner, and free safety at like fi- over 50 snaps per. So he's he's literally lining up all over the field doing what people expected Isaiah Simmons to do. Now, he's not grading well. I know a lot of people are saying, hey, he's the best player on the field. He's made a lot of big plays, but we're still talking about five missed tackles in three games, including four in week one. So, I mean, the grades haven't been great. And he's put in a position that's very difficult. So mm-hmm. um, it's impressive that he's doing all that, but you have the Isaiah Simmons coming in. You've got Jeremy Chin. You've got Kyle Duggar, who we mentioned earlier. A fascinating group of these hybrid safety linebackers. And the way the, Pan- the Panthers are playing base with Chin as a linebacker, and then he becomes the slot corner in nickel. Uh, you just don't see that combination. And he has snaps at free safety. You just don't see that combination. So he's a guy that I like to watch every week now, Jeremy Chin from the Panthers. Yeah, and I'm intrigued to see – whether Derek Brown has another strong game going up against another not great offensive line. Like, is he yeah. just going to be a product of the quality of the opposition in front of him, or has he actually got the ability to be better than that? Um, I also, Kyler Murray, I have a concern in the kryptonite piece. Lowest intermediate grade over the last two years, to 10 to 19 yard level, the, the level that every quarterback should own. You know why that's a problem? It's too short. Yes. And it's not so much that he's too short. It's that he's too short and his offensive line sucks, right? So these guys, they're bad. They have massive wide line splits, which is supposed to help, I suspect, with all of that. But actually what it's doing is it's just collapsing the pocket in and around him, and you have the shortest quarterback in the NFL. For most most quarterbacks that are short, I don't think it's an issue because you don't have terrible offensive lines. But the whole thing is they're not – like it's one thing to see beyond those offensive linemen when they're like five yards ahead of you, right? You've got a little bit of perspective working in your direction. But when they're here, like – you're I can't, sunk. Can't relate to anything you're saying. Um, does this? We've talked about Murray's high floor because of his rushing. Does this limit his ceiling? Is he a guy that has to hit a deep ball and he's going to have his rushing yards? But because he can't win at the most important level, does it actually limit the ceiling we thought? But Kyler Murray had. I don't. It's just a thought question. Yeah, I don't know that it's necessarily him, but I think him coupled with a bad offensive line probably does. Right? You immediately there's an area of the field where he's never going to be elite because of those two things. Now you can only change one of those, right? Like, Kyler Murray can't become 6'4". So you need to get a better offensive line in front of him. But I think if you do, like, he can function at that level. It's not – he's not so short that no matter what you do, he's never going to be able to see this giant square of the field in front of him. He just needs a guy not to be in his face while he's trying to do it. All right, we're both taking Arizona in this one against uh, Carolina. I'm not ready to buy into Carolina after their win last week. I think Arizona also covers – in this one, I, thought, I, I like a lot of favorites, I think. Yeah. I think I tend to like this one's too my many favorite, favorites. favorite, though. Favorite, favorite. Baltimore. Yes. At the Washington football team, favored by 13. This is, it's favored by 13, and 96% of the money is still going to Baltimore. To Give go. me all the favorites. How insane is that, right? They're 13 point favorites, and 96% of the money says they're going to cover that. This is one of those, they're not, the smart play here is to buy low. And not that 13 points is low. It's just perception of the Ravens is low because they just got smoked on Monday Night Football. Yeah. And But they should bounce back I have a well. prediction for this game. Oh, yeah? hear it? Yes. Alex Smith is going to come into this game. Really? Yes. 
that'd be cool. That'd be a good story. This, I mean, we saw what the Ravens did in week one to Baker Mayfield. Dwayne Haskins is playing worse than Baker Mayfield and has a lot of the same flaws. They are going to cause him to play so bad that they have to pull him from the game to save his own life. Don't throw Alex out, out there Al- in front Alex of Alex can deal with it. Alex knows what it Baltimore's is. Baltimore's blitz. Alex has seen it before. He understands what to do, and that man will get rid of that ball to protect his whatever's left of his leg at this point. Alex Smith's going to come in. It's not going to rescue them. It's not going to be the Baker Mayfield Jets thing, but he's going to come in and finish the game. I like it. I wouldn't mind. That would be cool to see. By the way, and when he does that, that's comeback player of the year wrapped up. Done. Oh, as soon as you second he's on the field and takes an offensive snap, he wins comeback player of the year. I like it. I hate that award, but I think that's where you use the award. In fact, they should do what they did when Breeze like broke the passing record, stop the game, wheel mm-hmm. it out, hand him his trophy, and then, all right, now you can have snap two. Yeah, Alex Smith, fantastic comeback. Chase Young's banged up, which is unfortunate. You know, if you're talking about Washington having a shot, yeah. it's the same story every week. They need a D-line to dominate, kind of like they did in week one against the Philadelphia Eagles. Not seeing that happening against Baltimore. I expect a big bounce back from Lamar. Yeah. I'm not – I don't know. Is, is everybody too crazy to think they're going to cover 13? No. <laughs> that's the thing. That's, it's, it's so crazy, and yet I think they're right. Like, right. that's where the money should be going. I'm buying into. My, I like, I like too many favorites. What's wrong? Pick a pick an underdog here. Not this one. Giants at the Los Angeles Rams. This spread's also 13. Rams favored right now. Um, the two New York teams are just Miserable. horrendous at everything. Uh, one of the things I broke, uh, Pat Leonard, um, New York media, asked me, hey, do you have any notes on the Giants offense that just says, uh, schematically, are they too vanilla? I'm like, well, they're third, in, third to last in play action, last in motion or shift usage. Yeah. Um, they're just the the things to make life easier on your quarterback. And I know game flow hasn't been in their favor and all these different things, but that's still no excuse for doing stuff that normally well, helps your quarterback, your young like quarterback. Motion. Like play action is one thing, right? But motion is something you can do any play whenever you want. That's yeah. not There's no game flow situation that takes that away from you in terms of an option. So use it. And and we've, we've said before, Peyton hated motion, and there are certain guys that don't like motion because they like to see what they have. But do you not also think the game has moved on a little bit since, like, Peyton's heyday? Well, here's my point. I think the, the, the quarterbacks – and that was, this was Rodgers a few years ago too. The quarterbacks who that was the case, you have to trust that when they have that extra information, they're going to do something. When they have the information of, like, I get to see the defense for an extra 10 seconds, right. that they're going to do something with it. I can't imagine Daniel Jones is at that point, but even though also, he's very much like, like it Peyton. It doesn't mean they were right. Like, Rodgers may have, may have loved point. it. Suddenly, you, you change, and you're top five in both those, and Rodgers is back to playing better than he's ever played, right? And maybe so, you're just more talented. That's what I'm saying. So, like, they may feel more comfortable with that, but right. isn't one of those great lessons in life that you should always be putting yourself in situations where you're uncomfortable? Like, if you're comfortable the whole way through, you're doing it wrong. So, Peyton Manning and Aaron Rodgers may have been more comfortable without motion messing with their picture, but they are both talented enough that actually they overcome that and it's better because motion is better. So even independent of the idea that I think the game has probably moved on enough that it doesn't matter what Peyton Manning liked 10 years ago, like you should be running it now, it, there's probably a chance that those guys would have been better anyway if they'd been doing it. It's a good point. I remember my, uh, my trainer used to always make fun of uh, Roger. Uh, Roger Clemens was a great pitcher. Okay. He had the worst workout program, but it worked for him because he was Roger Clemens. That's like Peyton not like in motion. It's probably not a good idea, but it works out because you're Peyton Manning and you're right. going to read defenses. Like and the Deion Sanders never stretching thing. Right. I don't stretch. Just get out. Right. 
They used to say cheetahs don't stretch. They don't pull muscles. Right. That's okay. a lot. It was a, was, yeah, it was, was it a cheetah? That's in uh, Double Tap or what the, what's that movie with Woody Harrelson? And I don't remember offhand. Anyway, that was uh, a I like the Rams. You like the Rams to cover 13? Yes. Uh, That's a lot. Aaron Donald against the 31st ranked offensive line in the NFL. Yeah. Lowest pass blocking grade for the Giants. I'm hoping rookie Andrew Thomas bounces back. Liked him a lot coming out. He's had a rough stretch facing the Steelers, facing Khalil Mack. Had an easier time last week, but wasn't as good. Um, Daniel Jones is quietly grading pretty well. Yeah. Despite everything being bad around him. I want to see if he can keep that up. That's what I'm looking for. Monday Night Football. Atlanta Falcons at the Green Bay Packers. This one's the Packers by seven and a half. Was oh, my gosh. I see, I see your note. <laughs> I see yours. These are good notes for this game. Um, <laughs> this was a game that at some point probably looked really good on paper. Oh, my gosh. And now not We're going to so have that Ryan yeah. Rogers shootout on Monday night. And now, yeah, now really not so much. This is one. So every, every year there's a game where there's no reason that one team should win. None. Not a single reason. You can't find one. It doesn't make any sense. Things would need to go wrong for that to happen. And then something weird happens, and it swings that way. Last season, was it last year or the year before? It was last year. Okay. We referred to it as the dead whale game, right? The exploding whale. So dead, wrecked, old, majestic creature washed up on the beach. They start rotting away, and then eventually somebody pokes it with a stick, and the whole thing explodes and wrecks whoever it was poking it with a stick. The dead whale game. It was the Atlanta Falcons the last time. They are in a mess right now. They have lost bank-to-bank horrific choke job games. Like, they've never recovered from the 28-3 Super Bowl. They are an absolute disaster, and they're going up against the best quarterback in the NFL through three weeks, a team that looks like the the class of the NFC now. Does the dead whale of the Atlanta Falcons explode on the Green Bay Packers on Monday Night Football? No. No. You can't be a dead whale two years in a row, right? It was a new year. It's a new season. It's a new whale. So maybe. I mean, look, the Falcons are too ridiculous. (laughs) Just out of this world collapses away from being two and one. Yeah. So there's no way they would have. They're better. They're another team that's better than their record. I mean, just like play for play. Wait, you're arguing into the dead whale theory. Oh, yeah. But Green Bay is way better than them. Okay. So Atlanta, So they're not dead. Aren't they? I don't know. They're just injured. I don't know. They're injured. The Falcons blew it against the Cowboys. They blew it against the Bears. Mm-hmm. They're that close to being 2-1. and one. There's, They're still dangerous offensively with Ryan and the playmakers and all that stuff. Even though we were talking about trading Matt Ryan on PFF.com this week to tank for Trevor. Hmm. Trash. Trash did it. Couldn't be me. I think this game will be a little bit better than expected. I'm not explode, ex- expecting an exploding dead whale, okay. but I think it'll be a little better than expected. I'm not expected to be a dead whale game either. I'm just saying it's just got the hallmarks of one, you know? it's There's something on the horizon. Oh, wait. I'm looking at this again. It's at Green. Matt Ryan has to leave the dome? Yeah. Okay. Green Bay, Green Bay by 100. 100. Yeah. Okay. No, if it was a if it was a cold game, if it was like really late in the year, maybe. Yeah, Green Bay by seven and a half. I think I'm gonna this is one I'll take the Falcons to, to keep it close. How about that? To cover, but not to, to win. Cover. Not the dead Green way. Bay to win, Atlanta to cover. Finally gonna take a dog. They're a little bit better than um their record would show. It's the theme of when you have three weeks of action. Hmm. 
better I, or worse than their record. Yeah, I think there's a pretty good chance they're just bad and they get whooped. Um, I just I want to see if Rodgers can keep it going. Take I want to see if he plays within structure, the scheme, and all that stuff. I mean, he should absolutely tear apart this yeah. Falcons secondary. They need to show signs of life there somewhere besides the few flashes that rookie A.J. Terrell has shown. Yeah. I mean, he's he's not back yet, right? The COVID protocol is going to keep him out for this game. Oh, well. yeah. But I'm just saying that's like the only guy that's no, had any right. semblance of success despite them getting smoked on the back end. So. I, yeah, I don't see how they can live with uh, – Green Bay is going to put up a ton of points. And unless Atlanta – unless you get good Matt Ryan outside. You need 2016 Matt Ryan. Yeah. So that's it. Monday Night Football, Falcons and Packers. Uh, we're going to get to Robert Mays in a minute. Don't forget about, about our friends over at Monkey Knife Fight, those first-time deposits that I mentioned earlier, $20. You just put $20 into your account, use the promo code PFF, you get a free PFF Edge annual subscription. So for $20, you get a $40 product plus the ability to win some money in daily fantasy and prop games over at Monkey Knife Fight. And then, of course, the Chris Collinsworth podcast, the PFF Daily Betting podcast. We have a whole slew of it's, it's like a podcast network now so yeah. check out the entire pff podcast network i would just go to your provider and just search pff and the pff nfl shows number one and we're the best and all that stuff but then you know collinsworth and there's daily betting and there's the forecast there's two for one drafts this, is his going to show up if you search pff i don't know is he branding as pff or nbc chris well, PFF what is he? is nowhere in his name in the name i think it's show. in the it's got to be in the description right I don't. Uh, maybe. I think Colin. Yeah. He Chris needs us to help. He needs the PFF brand behind him. I think to Does maximize. He know that? Have you told him that? I ran into him the other day, and he was apologizing profusely <laughs> for not properly crediting me on Sunday Night Football for the hypnotizer. Yeah, he, uh, he did apologize, and I said, "Look, next time you drop a stat, I, I get credit for it. whatever it is. Anything that comes from PFF could That's come from George, saying. could come from anybody." It's Not mine. That. Whoever tells him the most interesting thing during that week. Mine. You. Like, so, you know, whether it's who's, who's Sunday Night Football this week? We just said Eagles and uh, Niners. Right. If Kyle Shanahan tells him something genius, gets credited to you this From week. me. That's what I'm saying. All right. I, I agree. That's what you should. So I'm, keep an eye out. Sunday Night Football. You, that's what you need to watch for in the Eagles Niners games. My, my name drop that, that Chris drops out there for me. So, did they push PFF on the thing? Uh, I haven't seen it. Oh, okay. But check out the Chris Collinsworth podcast. podcast. Uh, we're going to go to Robert Mays right now. Recorded this yesterday. Little football discussion and Sam's uh, journalism. Hope you guys enjoy it. All right. We are here with Robert Mays, formerly of The Ringer, currently of The Athletic, like like a free agent moving on to a new team. How's, how's your new world over there, Robert? How you doing, man? I mean, it's still strange. I think when you, whenever you move, it's always going to be a little bit of an adjustment period. It's been amazing. It's just been different. You know, I, for the most part, worked with the same people for four years at The Ringer, and then even beyond that, a lot of my bosses at The Ringer were people that I'd worked with for almost a decade at, at Grantland. So it's definitely going to be a transition. I feel like it's probably like what Philip Rivers feels like right now. Even though the coaches have changed a little bit, he was in the same place for a long time. So the transition is there, but it's been a fun transition. I've really enjoyed it so far. Are you saying you're facing less pressure like Philip Rivers? You got a nice pocket to work with finally? I think I'm facing more pressure, honestly. The old spot, at least it was me and Kevin doing the show together. Now it's I'm doing all of them with rotating you know, co-hosts and guests, so it feels like there's a little bit more pressure to get it right. I can't really pawn it off on anybody else if I screw it up. <laughs> Go ahead and pitch the show and everything you're working on before we get into uh, a little more football discussion. 
I mean, it's pretty easy. It's the athletic football show. We do it three days a week. Sunday nights is me and Nate Tice. I mean, I think you guys know Nate from the football internet. He's smart as can be. Yeah. Uh, Wednesdays, we do a rotating cast of characters. Yesterday, Sam came on. Ted Nguyen comes on to do X's Nose every week. And then we do sort of a team visit with one of the athletic team writers, of which there are 30. So it's just an amazing resource. And then Thursdays is me and Lindsey Jones predicting the week and kind of previewing the game. So we're going to do that today with some COVID news. And uh, yeah, so that's it. Please check it out. And then I'm ready for the athletic as well once a week. So you know, pretty standard stuff. So I was on your show yesterday. Um, and then, but my mine was more, you know, football talk, easy NFL stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm more curious about you. So I started doing some research, right? And obviously the first <laughs> port of call is Google. And I was amazed how little Robert Mays there is on Google. You either lead an extremely uncontroversial life or you have some sort of secret, you know, internet cleansing system that, that purges all of the bad stuff. You know, there's no like Tom Brady declining from 2014 that I can't get the hell away from in your past. Oh, I've had some horrid takes. I guarantee you there's some stuff out there that I would really wish would go away, but I th I'm glad that you couldn't find any easily, <laughs> but I guarantee you there's some bad stuff. I mean, me and Barnwell, I think, predicted the Bucks to win the NFC South like 16 years in a row. And we're always wrong. So at least when I'm wrong, I've been able to turn it into a bit because I'm so consistently wrong. That helps. That helps. The Bucks yeah. felt like a breakout team for 16 straight years, to be fair. Well, that was like the Chargers. I, I, Same thing. I don't think it was totally unfounded. So <laughs> there's actually some reasoning behind it. But it did become hilarious when we were getting it wrong every single year. On the Grantwood NFL podcast back in the day, we did a pick of the week against the spread. I think for 16 straight weeks, I got it wrong one year. <laughs> I want to say it was like 2014. So I've had some bad stretches. I can guarantee you that. But what I did discover on Google was some outstanding photograph. Um, we don't actually have it. No. I should have I should have cropped it and, and used it for this. But for the for the purposes of audio, you can find it yourself with Google uh, image search. Because when when I go on radio hits, sometimes they you know they tweet out, "Hey, PFF Sam coming on." Here's and they they use pictures, right? And they obviously do the same thing. They hit Google image search and they grab a picture. And some of them, like a lot of them, use you know the most recent sort of picture of me on NFL Network or whatever, which is fine. Others dive back into some godforsaken photo that must have come from like Facebook before it was put private or whatever. There's a great photograph of you from your college days, I think, winning, oh, winning awards. You're an award-winning journalist. I mean, that was back in college when I think it was probably easier to win awards. Are you talking about the one of me and the older lady in front yes. of the weird picture? Yes. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good one. That's a good one. I had to go to, I didn't have to. I went to dinner with her and it was her husband with the name, the award was named after him. So you get to go with a, to a luncheon, I think, with his wife and then there's other people there. So, and then you have to take an awkward picture. That was in the rotunda of the newspaper building at the university of missouri it so it's like well, congratulations not that long ago but it was a long time ago now the uh from what i could tell you've won you won two different awards for writing and one of them was my favorite i can't though. believe you're bringing this up this now. is great this is one of them one of them was great though because it came with a, a cash prize as well as a copy of a memoir which sounds a lot like steve's baseball contract where if he won the cy young award he was going to get some tiny pitiful yeah, bonus 2500 bucks yeah, yeah. it was 2500 bucks i mean this is relatable other than the fact that you could actually win the award and i had no shot at winning right. you know the cy young but his came with a book yeah that's that's impressive right? congrats on that as well it was the same one i think that was it was the don romero <laughs> writing prize i remember what it was called the romero prize that's that's beautiful. the other interesting thing i learned from diving into your history is this is your you, life you apparently dabbled with the idea of going into law 
And I'm curious if you bailed on the prospect for exactly the same reason I did when I, w- I did a year of a, a law dipro- diploma and essentially abandoned it because it turns out the real thing is nothing at all like a few good men. Oh, I was going to go because I had no other options. Okay. I didn't want to do journalism. And my school, that was the best major you could get. So I figured, oh, well, I'll just get a, an undergraduate degree that looks pretty good. And then I'll go to law school. I took the LSAT, everything. And then I just stumbled back into sports writing. And I was like, oh, yeah, I do like this. There was a reason I wanted to do this from the start. So you didn't sour on law as much as just found, you know, the better calling. or your, the, I, your I, calling. I came back to, to sports writing as my one true love. That, that's what happened. Because when I started doing law, I discovered quite quickly that actually it's pretty mind-numbing. Like you just need to know an absurd amount of case law, the scope for going out there and yelling, you know, you can't handle the truth in a courtroom is pretty, pretty small. That's not where most of the, the stuff is. And it, it just it didn't seem like a good time. I know a lot of lawyers and I think it's a lot of yellow, of red tape and just busy work. Not a lot of uh, actual courtroom drama when you're getting into the nitty gritty of being a lawyer in day to day life. I, I knew, know. I knew right to get, to get right into sports. I mean, I knew that. Yeah. No, I didn't dabble in law at all. Also, you were so, like nine foot tall, which probably helped. Yeah, exactly. Yes. If you hadn't gotten into sports, <laughs> just slapping God in the face, I'm pretty sure there was only one route for you to go. Ah. <laughs> uh. Got to take advantage of the height. What else you got, Sam? Your research is impeccable here. I know, I know. We're going. I, I'm really uncomfortable with the direction this conversation has gone. Don't worry. Only out. 68 more questions on your uh, background. Uh, what do you What do you have next? Sam? That's That's the beauty of this podcast. We bring on guests and we make them as uncomfortable as humanly possible for as long a time as we can. It's It's great. Um, so you're you're more of an actual journalist than us who who fall into that category of like either the weird analytics niche or the um, that's niche for American niche, people, yeah. I'm, I'm told. Um, or, you know, sort of bloggers, you know, in the basement doing the, the, the standard internet cliche. Um, so I'm curious. There's a Venn diagram with some overlap there. Yes, there oh, definitely yeah. is. And I'm curious what you think is happening with the world right now in this way. Athletes taking more direct control over the, the sort of their message, their branding, being able to talk to, you know, multiple million Twitter followers or whatever. The, the traditional model of kind of access-based journalists, right? Guys talking to these people, going into the locker room, it feels less important than it's ever been, the sort of decline of all these, these traditional news outlets. What way do you see all this going down the line? I think the profile writing has changed a lot, you know, just in terms of being having to tell someone's story because they can tell their own story. I think it's difficult to do well now because a lot of the time the access that you're getting is the access that people want to give you. So I think threading that needle and writing a really great profile and having it be illustrative in some way is really tough to do. I think that Zach Barron at GQ does a fantastic job. It's not sports, but he writes about celebrities. And I think that the same gatekeepers that exist in the sports world probably exist in the culture world as well. I do think that being in the locker room, that kind of access is still invaluable. Because when you watch somebody that's really good at working a locker room, beat writers that do this stuff all the time, it's not necessarily the biggest stars that have a conduit between them and the public now with their own social media presence. It's talking to guys that maybe don't have as much of a voice or are people that are really good sources within a locker room. So I think that stuff is still extremely valuable. I think the source building is still extremely valuable. And I'm not talking about myself. I'm talking about people that actually are boots on the ground doing this every single day. So I do think there's still a ton of value in that, but I think that with some of the bigger stars, yeah, the walls are definitely up. I mean, you think about 
the ways that maybe like Jackie McMullen or Bob Ryan, they, those guys always come to mind, which is the relationship that people have with teams like the 80 Celtics or whatever. You're on the plane. I mean, you're completely embedded with this. It's a completely different version of storytelling. So I do think that the access still matters, but I think that the access to some of the bigger names probably matters less or probably doesn't even exist anymore. Who are some of the more interesting people that you have talked to? Is it, is it front office personnel? Is it players? You know, through your experience, is there anybody that comes to mind that has been, you know, the best or the most interesting? On the record and doing an actual story where I got to write about it after, I mean, I think the one that comes to mind is, I think in 2013, I want to say, it was his first year with the Eagles. I went to Philadelphia and essentially hung out with Connor Barwin for an entire weekend. So I went to the game, and then the day after the, after the game, he and I went to see Animal Collective together at a venue in Philadelphia <laughs> for the story. And at the we saw the show. It was extremely weird. I don't know how much you know about Animal Collective, but it's a very strange visual experience. A guy came up to us after the show. We were sitting in the back because that's usually where he sits. Because even though he's a football player and they wear helmets, he looks like a famous person, if that makes sense, just the way that he dresses and everything else. And a guy just tripping so incredibly hard just came up to us after the show and was like, are you in the Dirty Projectors? And I'll never forget that. He thought he was a musician, even though he was just a football <laughs> player because he looks like somebody. That's great. So that was just, I mean, he was just a super interesting guy on a lot of different levels. I mean, if you know about Connor at all, he's very into environmental causes and uh, kind of urban realization stuff in Philadelphia. He still does a benefit there every single year. So he was a really interesting person. On a football level, I love talking to receivers. I've gotten so much out of the conversations that I've had with Keenan Allen and Devontae Adams. I think those are two of my favorite guys to talk to just about the ins and outs of the position because I played football in high school and I love kind of the intricacies of line play and pass rushing and everything else. That I can kind of talk about with some sort of fluency. When it comes to the coverages, playing receiver, all that stuff, I know absolutely nothing. So those guys kind of have laid bare their methods, the way they think about it, and just kind of everything that goes into playing that position. And I found those conversations fascinating. It's probably my favorite position to write about because it's the one I came in knowing the least about. You're the uh, the perfect guest to start off our, our interview run because this show is all about old, really low-level uh, sports careers. So we've got Steve <laughs> what? with his tangential minor league baseball, you know, Mine is significantly less notable than well, Steve's. So we get we get steps down, right? <laughs> then you, who played receiver in high school, and then no, me. No, no, no. I played offensive defensive line. Oh, in high offensive school. defensive line. Yeah. And then yes. me, who was a second team all Irish American Football League uh, one year, the year that I, in fact, played terribly and then retired at the end of it. So this is quite the collection of, of past sporting luminaries you at least have an award i mean you were second team true. second team second team i just had you know eight Nothing. glorious years in the yeah. minors but no awards to show for it hmm. all right let's talk some nfl right now the bears let's talk about the bears what ready. i what what what's going through your mind right now what are you ready for the roller coaster of emotions that is nick Foles? <laughs> The of three course I am. I, I just watched Mitchell Trubisky for multiple seasons. Nothing can hurt me anymore. Do you think <laughs> that Nick Foles and the, whatever the bottom of the Nick Foles experience could be any worse than what I've watched over the past three seasons? Absolutely not. I'm uh, totally fine. I am hardened. I am a man that has been through so much that I feel like my skin is just made of diamonds at this point. So you, are you optimistic now? I mean, I think the, the ceiling with Foles is high. And you saw that against the Falcons, right? Like, he is – I was joking with Sam the other day. Like, nothing reminds me of Foles more than him trying to make a throw while taking a hit. 
but you just don't know yeah. what's going to happen on the other side of that, right? It's either going to a safety or it's you know right into your receiver's hands. I, the range of outcomes with Foles is just all over the place. Is he going to be the guy that could help the Bears hit their uh, their ceiling this year? I think this year, yes. I mean, in terms of the direction they could have gone, I, there are other directions that were more appealing to me. To think about what Cam Newton is doing, for example. Yeah. But in terms of this roster, he's definitely better than Mitchell Trubisky. That's what. And the- he's better. He's better on a few specific levels. He's better on at the at the snap, pre-snap, just at the line of scrimmage, understanding what coverages are there, getting guys in the right spots. You could even hear that from the way that guys were talking about him on Sunday. He's better just from a giving his guys a chance perspective. You know, think about all the throws in that game that were 50-50 balls that probably could have been caught that are probably sailing out of bounds if Mitchell Trubisky is the quarterback. Fair. So I think that even yeah. if the outcomes or the range is extremely wide, I do think for the most part, the baseline is higher and the ceiling is higher. So you just take it up like two notches on both levels. And I think with this team, that's what they've been asking for. So even if the process of getting here wasn't ideal, I do think that it's put them in a better spot. Yeah, I think it's definitely the right move. And I agree on both counts if both the ceiling and the baseline is higher. The thing that I find kind of funny, though, is that I also think that the low end, the floor, like the worst possible Nick Foles games might actually be worse than the worst Trubisky games. And if, you know, not that I'm wishing ill on you or that I'm, you know, wishing misery on a fellow football fan, but the idea of the next two, like the first two Nick Foles starts being low-end Nick Foles would be hilarious. They finally make the move. They go to Foles, they bench Trubisky, and he comes in and actually plays worse. I remember so vividly that I think it was Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. It was Christmas weekend the game that the Eagles played against the Raiders in prime time. Do you remember that game? Yeah, the, the year that Nick Foles came in for Carson Wentz? It was one of the ugliest games I've ever seen a yeah. quarterback play. And it was like, this relatively unwatchable. Yeah, this number and one seed is just done, right? They've got no shot after what we just saw against the Raiders. It was a horrendous game. <laughs> and I, will not, I would be lying if I said that weren't in the back of my mind as I think about what the next... <laughs> three months of Nick Foles is going to look like in my life. Here's the stat I use on the podcast here all the time, right? During that stretch when Wentz and Foles started all the games for the Eagles and Wentz started like 75% of them, right? During that stretch, Foles had the two highest rated games that we ever gave during that stretch. It was the NFC Championship and the Super Bowl. Nice time to have the two best games. But he also had five out of the 10 worst rated games between him and Wentz during that stretch. So he had only played like 20%, 20, whatever it was. And he had five of the worst graded games compared to Wentz during that stretch. So to me, that is like, that sums it up. The ceiling's high. The floor is kind of low, even though you think it might be. Uh, yeah, it's just, it's, man. Foles is just a fascinating quarterback because he's had some ridiculous success. He's had some some ugly stuff, as you mentioned. And I just, I always say, I want more Nick Foles data points. We're getting more data points to actually figure out what he is at this point in his career. I probably should feel better about Nick Foles than I do because I was at both of those games. I was at the <laughs> NFC Championship game where he just destroyed the Vikings. I remember being there. First of all, I was terrified because the press box was shaking. I legitimately, I've never been in a city after a football game where I was afraid until the Eagles won that NFC Championship game. I thought that things were going to burn down and I might be in the buildings as they did. But on the other side of it, I agree with you. I think that the, the, seal, the range of outcomes is so big, but I want to see not even beyond his own play, how it affects everything else. Because yeah. I've always said about Matt Nagy, I would love to see what he could do as a play caller and just as an offensive designer 
with a quarterback that he wasn't afraid of. Because I think that last year, if you go back and you watch a lot of what their offense looked like, you could see a play caller and an offensive mind that was just completely short-circuited by the distrust he had in his quarterback. And I think being able to just have some semblance of belief in the guy that you have under center, both as the offensive play caller and everyone else in the huddle, I'm excited for what that looks like, even if if Nick Foles as a quarterback is a fairly underwhelming proposition. That was your point all last year, right, Sam? Like, it was... They just didn't trust Trubisky at all. They tried to dumb down the offense to help Trubisky, and it, it had the opposite effect. It just made everything worse. But the other part of that is that I think Foles has also shown in his past that he responds well to those quarterback-friendly systems, whether it's um, – and this was one of them, right? Like the, this system he's been in before, and it's gotten the better play of Nick Foles. I think he's a good quarterback to kind of respond well to those systems that are supposed to help quarterbacks but couldn't with Trubisky. All right, let me ask a question that I hate. We're we're three weeks into the season, and I don't know I don't know when this happened, but you have to talk about like the MVP every single week for some reason. <laughs> who's the week? Who's the MVP after week one? I don't know. There's 15 more games, so let's put you on the spot. Who's going to win the MVP this year? Not necessarily who's earned it so far. There's it's going to be a pretty heated battle. Who's the who's going to be the most valuable player in the league? Sam and I talked about this a little bit yesterday. I think it's probably going to be Russell Wilson, just because it's such a narrative-driven award. And you heard it all summer with the let Russ cook stuff. And then that when you, when your boss is going on primetime television and starting to talk about internet movements, that's (laughs) when you know that things have probably taken hold. So (laughs) the fact that we have Chris Collinsworth on national television using you know, just little bits that Mina Kimes is talking about all the time on Twitter. We know that we're through the looking glass here. So I'm pretty sure that it's going to be Russell Wilson. If he continues to play, we're doing our best. Sorry, to brainwash Chris as much as possible. Well, that's when he's I not... appreciate that. You guys are doing God's work. Yeah, we are. I think it's going to be Wilson just because the narrative is there and if the quality of play continues, that those are the two real qualities you need in order to win that award. And it seems like both are he- kind of heading in this direction. He doesn't always remember that it was you that the information came from, but he at least remembers the information. Yeah. That's the most important thing. I just had it out with my boss over on the side here with Chris because, <laughs> again, I mentioned on the pod the other day, he I called that Falcons onside kick that they screwed up the other day i called it the hypnotizer and i I put a name to it and chris calls it the hypnotizer on sunday night football and then credits good morning football and and he wow and he was he was very apologetic Mm, well i called him i wouldn't go that far he was he found it funny i'm getting a raise i'm getting promoted oh really yeah yeah yeah, that must have happened after i left Anyway, yeah. So that's he, a good uh, name, and I've heard that you're terrible at naming things. I am. So he that's is. surprising. How, he really nice is. How did you. that get out? Big time Think, throws. Things were said. Big time throws. Big yeah. time throws is a good name. Look, I I went. I have responsibilities outside of the show, and I had to tell the truth, and I did. It, it, you didn't come out of it well. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Just telling lies about me. Look at that. I, I named the hypnotizer. I did it. All right, Robert, let's wrap it up. What was your big – this was like the real other hard-hitting question that you had. The hard-hitting question? Yeah. So I'm curious about what your game day football setup is, right? You, are you Bears only locked in on the one big screen? Have you got, you know, one of those Warren Sharp setups where you've got 78 different screens set up so you can watch everything that ever happens to humanity anywhere? What, how, do you, how do you watch football on a Sunday? In the before times, when we could go outside, yeah, I, I used to go watch the early games out a lot of the time, just because I would, there are a couple of places in Chicago that I loved the setup, and I just thought that they had to do a really good job of putting ten TVs in front of you where you could see everything. That's nice. So I would do that a lot, and then in games, uh, weeks where the bias happened, I would be at home, so I'd have two screens, 
one had the red zone, one had the bears, and then I had my computer with the four mix um, outside of that. This year, we've had to adapt a little bit. I have a third TV that I bring out for Sunday. Smart. So nice. I put it on three little stools next to my other two TVs. <laughs> so I have the four games on that, the red zone, and then the bears. So that's how I do it. I can usually watch five games at once plus the red zone. It's funny. We did we've been in lockdown and the pandemic has been going on so long that it never even occurred to me the concept of going outside to watch games like (laughs) leaving your house to see football was literally never even registered in my brain that's how long we've been stuck at home i feel distracted when i'm out and about uh but you know it's good if you get the 10 tv set up if i try to watch the octobox deal on direct tv and that's yeah, it takes some concentration. You need to keep up. I keep telling you, they, they waste so much of the screen real estate. You need like an 85 inch TV to get anything out of that. Well, I'm trying to convince my wife we need an 85 inch TV because I'm it's trying true. to watch eight games at a time and they're tiny. It's I have to sit right in front of it. So fair. fair. Anyway, Sam, you want to wrap always, it up? Before the games start, I go through every single game and I write down the things I want to watch. So that's like, for one game, I'd be like, I want to watch this right tackle against whoever. Because if I don't do that, if I don't have a roadmap before I start watching, then I'll watch absolutely nothing. So that's, <laughs> that's always a key part of how I do it. That's a good point though, right? So you are, I mean, you're a journalist, you're a storyteller. So how I, I've talked, we've talked to like Peter King before. And when you talk to like Peter King, it just feels like he's playing a different game. Like he's just thinking about yeah. everything differently. Do you feel like you have that? Like how, how much are you thinking about store? I'm not saying you're Peter King. Exactly. Say, no, I definitely don't have that. But do you have this like storytelling <laughs> mentality what's the next big thing because you're only writing once a week right so how do you decide on what's this one thing that i'm going to be writing and you know say in a given week i I feel like that's something that usually comes a little bit later so i just try to be at at this point the most important thing is recording the podcast on sunday night so that's why i just feel like i have to have my finger on the pulse of everything that's going on so that's still evolving you know I've, i've done a podcast for a long time but i've only done it on sunday night for three years and this is the first year that I've done it with The Athletic, and it's a new show. And so I think we're still figuring out exactly what to pay attention to, how to package it. All of that stuff is pretty fluid. But on a storyline basis, you know, I, I usually kind of sit down on Mondays and think, all right, what is the thing that interested me the most? And you know, that's a process. But I think that's beyond even what I watch on Sunday. On Sunday, I think I'm just trying to soak up as much as possible to be able to articulate what the day itself was on Sunday night when we record. So I'm also, this won't mean anything to the people listening rather than watching, but I'm under instruction to tell you that Tyler, our producer, is also a fan of the band written on your shirt, whose name I'm not going to attempt to pronounce because I don't know it. It's just, it's the Menzingers. It's not Menzingers. Well, look, it could have been Menzingers. Right. There's a few different, you could have put the emphasis in the wrong place and I would have looked a fool. So I, 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 I didn't take a chance. Way to play it safe, it's, Sam. Thanks. A majority of my wardrobe consists of band t-shirts, so it's perfect for just being around the house. I like it. You got a good, you got a good COVID setup over there. It's better <laughs> than my, you know, playroom background. At least you got some pictures over there. It's that's not bad. It's not the, bad for the YouTube folks. Robert, I'm trying. I'm trying. Thank you a ton for being the first, you know, significant interview guest we have on the PFF podcast. We're gonna. Start I cannot believe that I am the first significant one <laughs> we, because look, I am certainly not significant, but I appreciate the time either way, guys. We don't like doing this. We didn't want to talk to you at all. We no, don't like true. having anybody else on our <laughs> podcast. They're making us do They're like, hey, you guys need to have some guests. We're sick of hearing just you two. We need some guests. So 
That's the truth. Well, no, I no, feel we, honored we that I am the person they made you have on. And just, I will take that with me forever. Similar to the writing prize I won in college, it'll always matter to me. Maybe as a, a future learning point, we shouldn't tell the guests that we we don't want anything to do with them. And we're hateful <laughs> that they're on here right now. Robert, okay, I wouldn't it's want anything to do with them. It's totally fine. <laughs> it's been a pleasure. Can't wait to have you back again. Is that, is that That's better? That's better. We'll much better. Much better. We're just playing the game for the bosses. Yeah. Thank you, Robert. Appreciate you guys. All right, special thanks to Robert Mays over at The Athletic. Of course, be able to go check out The Athletic NFL Show. I'm just pushing a lot of podcasts here today. Yeah. But uh, always good. We're I was try- on his, so it's, there's a reason to go. for uh, The PFF reason to go to his show. I You're was on, on his show? Yeah. I was on his show, and then he came on ours. They call that a home and home. Do they? Yeah. Okay. In the industry. Well, apparently. I was on his show. It, you went to his home. He came to ours. Yeah. That's how we do it. So, We're going to have a few more, as I mentioned. The bosses want us to talk to other people, so we're going to have more people on. Mm, and you're going to tell them all how much you hate them. Yeah, that's going to be my shtick. Okay. Listen, it was mediocre. Had a mediocre time with you. Are you at all concerned that it's not going to be get? It's not going to be taken as you know a sarcastic joke. That they're actually going to believe you. Depends on who you're talking there's, to. There's people like some people have that tonal problem, right? Where yeah. They like joke and everyone takes it seriously and they get into trouble. I think if it's Peter King, like you he might like not get it right people. away. Like Peter, when I did the imitation at the live show, just didn't catch it yeah. for a while. But once you tell him the joke, he – so I'm not going to use it with Peter if he comes on, you know, that type of thing. Okay. Um, you got to pick your spots. I'm just it's – a, it's a high wire act, right, to be basically, <laughs> basically telling someone in their face. Listen, when you turn I full no heel – I part of you. I'm turning full heel. Just let me go. Okay. All right. We just go tell the truth and blame everybody. Anyway, great show. We'll be back Monday morning recapping all of the week four action. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe, download, give us the thumbs up. See all those other podcasts I talked about. Do our, all that stuff for us. We've got our guests locked in for next week as well. Next Thursday show, we'll have a guest as well. And uh, big time name. Big time name. Are you gonna, is that you just teasing it? No, no, I'm teasing. It's, this is professional tease, Steve. Come on. Oh, so we have big it's name next week. locked in. We're not going to reveal it now because that would be, you know. And spoiling the surprise. Are you playing us out this week too? Oh yeah, your musical montage? montage. If you're still listening nine hours into this podcast, hang around because we're about to play you out with some cool uh, audio montage stuff. Can we throw a promo code in there too while we're here? Why not? Game day twenty five. Game day twenty five. What do we get with this thing? I assume twenty five percent off. Otherwise, it's a pretty bad code. Wow. Another wow. This is great. Let me go check it out. So all your PFF. You don't already have PFF. Game day twenty five is your promo code. And uh, looks like 25% off your PFF products. Huh. So check that out. Who could have told that from the name? I actually didn't see that. I don't have that information, but I think that's that's the promo code. Just go check it out. Game day 25. Action-packed show, as I promised. Mm-hmm. Preview, Robert Mays, and Sam's playing us out right now. See you guys on Monday. Mustache. We'll get into that later. And uh, I think it rivals uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick's beard. Fitzpatrick throws for the touchdown. el pase. Touchdown! Touchdown in the center of the terreno, Williams. He can still do it. You think they like playing with Fitzpatrick? <laughs> Does Gardner have to shave his mustache, or does he have to grow a beard now? Number 14 in his 16th year, fired up all night. Kyle Shanahan, he's a Rembrandt. Like, it doesn't, he's so good at what he's doing. It doesn't matter what you give him in terms of tools to work with. He is going to eviscerate you anyway.
Wilson walks on in. Touchdown, San Francisco. Hasn't been able to figure out this third down yet. Third down at eight. Trubisky's pass is picked off. We see the Bears taking over with Nick Foles at the helm. But Trubisky looked uncomfortable sitting in the pocket. Fourth and goal from the 17-yard line. As Foles fires and diving to make the catch. The Chicago Bears take the lead with a minute 53 seconds remaining. Here's Mahomes, gets some pressure, man in his face. Got Hartman wide open for the touchdown. Second and nine. Mahomes looking for Tyreek Hill, and he brings it down for the touchdown. Mahomes to Hill for the Chiefs score, 20 yards. Jackson will have to live with that. Mahomes got the better of him again tonight. Play fake. Cousins taking a deep shot. Jefferson's got separation, and he's got the catch inside the 40. Jefferson still going. See you later. Justin Jefferson, have a day. His first NFL touchdown, and that'll be on the highlight reel for years. He's got some mad, mad skills. Over the top, and the touchdown for Lazard. The guy who got him down there gets him in the end zone. And the Packers take the lead. That before has got it going on. Three touchdowns for Aaron Rodgers. They scored 43, 42, and now 37 here in the third game of the season. All right, we're having some fun now. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did go check out kyler murray and his nfl debut that's my favorite thing about nfl game pass you can go back and watch at any time and if you haven't watched a condensed game yet you have to try it out it's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire nfl game in the fraction of the time it normally takes it's how i'm able to follow all the mvp candidates all the breakout stars and of course your waiver wire pickups all season long to see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash Pro Football Focus NFL.